Madonna crashes Argo, F yourself, and ladies and gentlemen, meet Quentin Tarantino. This week on 30 Hello, everybody. Welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a splendid little journey across three decades in the same week. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going to be looking at 1992, 2002, and 2012 in the week of October 7th through the 13th of all those years. 30, 20, 10 years ago. Get it? We'll tell you what all the cool movies, TV shows, video games, music stuff that came out then, around then, as well as some news, which we'll get started with pretty quickly here, because there's a significant American event celebrating an anniversary. Some kind of tenniel. I don't even have the word for it. Uh, hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman and R.I.P. Loretta Lynn. Mm. I'm J.R. Rawls. And how about if I'm Mr. Purple? That sounds good to me. I'll be Mr. Purple. <laughs> you can't be Mr. Purple. He's on another job. <laughs> and Oh, man, I cannot wait to talk about that. But yes, uh, once again, thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. Look forward to episodes about uh, Last Unicorn and Halloween 3 and Friday 13th 3 and a new six Star Wars and Video Game Apocalypse this week. Five bucks, you can support all the shows. We do thank you. Patreon.com slash laser time. You have, if you can donate a car through there, I'll check with Patreon. Uh, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> but anyway, moving, moving on in the show, starting as we always do in 1992, because Diana did something pretty fun here. As you'll see with one of the movies, it is in 1992, the 500th anniversary of Columbus landing in the Bahamas? Is that where he landed? <laughs> was yeah, it? Dominican Republic, somewhere around there. I think there's we're looking for is Quint- Quintacentennial. Yeah. Quintacentenary. 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 Right. Yeah. You know, that word we use all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah you know, when quincentenary. Stuff uh, turns so. 500, like, you know, Nintendo or... Walt Disney. No, no, no one thing ever turns 500. And I don't remember this being a massive deal, but... It was a thing. Yeah, There were celebrations. There were attempts to make it a bigger deal than it ended. I I did Google it, Mm -hmm. and in 1992, according to a poll, 90% of participants regarded Christopher Columbus as either heroic or a traditional explorer with only... 3.6 3.6 regarding him as outright villainous. Right. Ooh, I wonder where those numbers are now. Yeah, I guess significantly skewed. Uh, uh, I couldn't tell you if Columbus was better or worse than anybody who was alive back then. I really couldn't. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go with all the different explorers and stuff, it's like right. for for crimes, he's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, but they're pretty significant. So, yeah, it all. Uh, for this anniversary, I thought we would acknowledge uh, whose land we're on right now. Yes. Um, I, I am broadcasting to you from the unceded lands of the Ohlone and Coast Miwok peoples who were had all their shit stolen. And, and then they built bridges on it. Yes, and I am broadcasting from the land of the Muscogee, the Creek, and the Appalachee, all of which have wonderful streets named after them. Driving through rural Florida in between the towns you heard of, you will find the most beautiful like Native American names ever, completely corrupted by some of the most un- inhospitable rednecks, the weirdest cities you've ever been in, all with these gorgeous Native American names. Miccosukee, uh, Alachua, and, and everybody who lives here, you associate that with like a, 
How many babies got killed by a dog last week? Like, it's, it's... <laughs> I am broadcasting from land that was conquered from the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho. Mm. Mm. Um, I love Arapaho. Could have been a great stage name. But anyway, our, our thanks to the Native Americans <laughs> <Yeah>. who <sighs> donated their land so we could... <laughs> That's um, a way to put it. I yeah, know. I don't know. Well, I don't... It's conquered. That's the it's yeah, I don't... actually accurate term. Yeah. Stolen is also pretty good. Can we still thank somebody for something that's, that's stolen? Right? All land is stolen if you go back far enough. Right. Well, yeah. What is the ownership of land anyway? Well, that's why I, I think know. conquered's the best phrase. It's accurate yep. and uh, yeah. That's why this week yeah, I'm visiting Apocalypse where we go under the sea and try and get some land yeah. under there. Ooh. Yeah, but Concord also implies it was a fair fight. Yeah. No, it doesn't. No, not even remotely. When the Romans conquered people, that wasn't a fair fight. Yeah. 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 I I don't know. We'll talk about it a bunch more because we've got the second of the two Columbus movies to talk about. Right. And it's a complicated history just because. The worst Columbus movie, believe it or not. No, I think this is the better one. I think this was the better one. coming up, guys. (laughs) But just, I think, as we said before, when we were little kids, Columbus was not his face, but was one of the most recognizable people in all of history to, to kids. Columbus sailed the right. Ocean and I, I'm not sure that's the same way anymore, just how much of Columbus is talked about, at least not revered in the same way. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he did a crazy thing because he was bad at math. You know, the, the whole, they thought the earth was flat. Like, yeah, no, that's nope. simplifying for kids. Nobody thought that, but they didn't realize there was a continent between there and yes. here. And daring to go find it was pretty ballsy. And then uh... well, let's save it for the movie. We'll save it for the movie. It, it, it's it's related yeah. to the movie. Uh, also in the news this week, 1992, October 7th to the 13th, uh, New York Senator Alphonse de, de Amato uh, filibusters for 15 hours and 20 minutes. Let's hope it was so for a just cause. Back when filibustering, you actually had to make some effort. They yeah. changed it. I forget when, but now you basically just say, I'm filibustering. Back in 1992, you actually had to get off your lazy ass and talk for a long, long time. Jimmy Stewart style. Yes. At one point, the senator began singing South of the Border Down Mexico Way. I, I tried to find video of it, but no one's uploaded that to YouTube from C-SPAN or whatever. But yeah, it, it, I wish it was something dramatic, but he was just trying to save the loss of 750 jobs in upstate New York. Which that's some Mr. Mr. Smith goes to Washington shit right there of just like, yeah, the, this one factory is going to close and I'm going to stop the entire government to save those jobs. <laughs> but he's not. That's think- adorable. He's not thinking about all the glorious Bruce Springsteen songs that we've written about the closing factory. <laughs> the second longest solo filibuster in Senate history, by the way. Is it Strom yeah. Thurmond still with the record? Yeah. He's still so. with the record. And when I was at the South Carolina State House and there's a portrait of him and the guy giving the tour said he gave the longest filibuster of all time. And I had to. I had to ask. What for? What? for? <laughs> Civil Rights Act. Yeah, America. The history is complicated. And then finally, uh, less, the last bit of politics. It's the first three-way U.S. presidential debate uh, in U.S. history. Presidential wow. debates are not this long and glorious tradition that people think they are. Hmm. Uh, do you know the first sitting U.S. president to be in a debate? No. I'm going to say, like, maybe Truman? Gerald Ford. Whoa! Really? So the 70s? It was wow. sitting beneath the president's dignity to debate while he was president. Right. Okay, we had famous debates like the 
Nixon, Nixon Kennedy JFK. debate, but neither of those guys were president. One was right. vice president, one was a senator. So the Ooh. president actually debating is a fairly recent phenomenon. Yeah, this is the first three-way presidential debate we've ever had. Right, and it was hysterical. I mean, according to the S my SNL memories of it. And, yeah, so the vice presidential uh, debate was the fun one on this one, man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we get you sat there and didn't say something that? for 30 straight minutes? That was world class. No, no, we're not there yet. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Yeah, that was, I love that one. All right, let's get into movies. Movies in 1992, October 7th through the 13th. Gun Crazy with Drew Barrymore and John LaGrosse. This is kind of a fun one. Uh, turns out like it went to Showtime and then got a small theatrical release. She's like, huh. How about that? But it's the directorial debut of Tamara Davis, who's director who's done a bunch of fun, light stuff generally. And mm -hmm. it's about like kind of a modern Bonnie and Clyde and that like Drew Barrymore kills her abusive stepdad or dad, whichever. And then they sort of go on the run on a little mini crime spree, but kind of lighthearted. It's okay. I feel I, it was it split critics. A bunch of them were sort of like, this should be more Bonnie and Clyde. And some were like, this should be less. I feel like Hi. this should swap titles with the next film. And mm. <laughs> quick doing the dates, actually, the vice presidential debate happens this week as well. Oh. oh, okay. Dang it. I didn't do the full research. The important thing is that Ross Perot's running mate is a J Admiral Courtney James Man. Stockdale. Yes. Ad Admiral James Stockdale, who was at the Gulf of Tonkin and then was a pow in vietnam and there is a point where he gets so bored he turns off his hearing aid and then they ask him a question and the, the clip that should have just ruined everything forever if, especially if there was the internet was like i wasn't listening ask me again <laughs> well at one point he also said who am i why am i here right. now that was a rhetorical thing on his part yeah but the tone he used made people think he was like serious yeah yeah <laughs> uh, that's how again that's how it was done on snl it was as if he was senile and lost yeah yeah and exactly like he's just gonna wander off rather than he was introducing himself does. like uh yeah anyway uh yeah. moving on gun crazy sounds more like a video game name or should a yeah, swap a video game or swap yeah. titles with the next film which i just can't believe is 30 years old Whew. yes i am that basic white bitch who watched this almost every day <laughs> when i when it around when it came out and haven't seen it in like 15 to 20 years finally saw I it i was gonna say like last week, if you're talking to someone and they say their favorite movie is Glengarry Glenn Ross, mm -hmm. you should run away. If they say this is their favorite movie, they are a basic white boy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, maybe not evil, but look at this cast. Eddie Bunker, Randy Brooks, Stephen Wright, Kirk Boltz, Lawrence Tierney, Quentin Tarantino. Hey, Quentin Tarantino. Steve Buscemi, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Tim Roth, and Harvey Keitel in Reservoir Dogs. Hear your name. It's the white if you get a customer or an employee who thinks he's Charles Bronson, take the butt of your gun and smash their nose. It's the blind. If they hadn't done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. Mr. Orange. Come here! Kill me, man! Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. Reservoir Dogs. A film I can say holds up really well. Uh, it's such a light, light ad for it. Yeah. That you don't know the the violence in this movie was so controversial. People yeah. could not take it. They were walking out. It, which I it's but it, if you actually look at it, it's not that violent. No. Of a film. The famous ear scene. Mm -hmm. You see almost nothing. There. Yeah. You don't yeah. see the knife going into the ear. You Not just hands away. feel it. 
I, there is like even I, uh, sometimes Mr. Orange is in a pool, like an impossibly large pool of blood that is yeah. pretty vile in a non-horror movie. I, I, I just was more astounded. Like one, it you know, I watch a lot of other Tarantino movies on a regular basis and you can see how much he's grown as a filmmaker. It's th- way less indulgent in, in Tarantino-isms and some of the dialogue than I remembered. And uh, most of it is just pretty straightforward dialogue. Um, uh, I will, I I have to say this because I was a film student who entered film school right after Pulp Fiction right. came out. And my God, did that just ruined my screenwriting class and all those experiences. And <laughs> all became- of our creative writing classes were about hitmen for fucking years because of Tarantino. So yeah. I, well, I have they, a story about this. Same thing. The the this is how me and my friends talk, cramming in pop culture references. Oh. Which I feel like now I hadn't seen that in the context of a Generation X thing, but now I fucking do. And we'd always joke about like we'd roll our eyes at some other students in the class. Like now the characters are going to talk about Smurfs for no fucking reason. Just like wow. And it's always like, remember that thing? Wasn't it weird? And they have nothing new or interesting to say about it. And then when that happened in Donnie Darko, I thought I would lose my mind. (laughs) Anyway. So I took my first screenwriting class at the age of 15. Okay. And I was by far the youngest kid in the class. And I was so young that I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs yet. Mm -hmm. Everyone, other, every other male in that screenwriting class mm. was writing a heist film ah. and they referenced reservoir dogs and i was like what's that i've never seen that is it good yeah. and it was it sticks out in my mind as such a moment of time where everyone yeah wants to do this film well he, okay? he, he, he makes it look easy unlike hateful eight which is the most like a one scene play he this is really creative and it does it oh. seems to involve a warehouse and white guys and that's it yeah. it's about a yeah. heist and, and being, a robbery you've and never being seen really cool yeah. everyone's being really cool yeah. and they say really cool things and that is a good point that it looks easier than it is yes but you're forgetting how much they really establish easy. in the flashbacks in what can and can't be shown in the present in the warehouse unless those scenes unfold the way they do. It's very smartly put together and I think the shortest Tarantino movie ever. Uh, it, it's, mm, it's, it's, yeah. it's a tight Probably. film. And, and I, I, yeah, I thoroughly recommend checking this out again. I think it's streaming. Shit, I'll look it up because it's streaming in a bunch of places, I think, for free. But there's yeah, so that's... much of Tarantino's future in this film. Yeah. I mean, this, he starts out with non-linear storytelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something most filmmakers don't start out with. That's that's a tough nut to crack. It's easy yeah. to do that badly. It's really hard to do nonlinear well. And he knocks it out of the park on his first go. At the heart, this film is a bunch of characters in a confined space trying to outthink each other. And that's engaging. Yeah. You know, yep. they all have goals. You can all understand their goals. You can understand where each of these characters is coming from from and they're bouncing off each other in interesting ways it's and uh for a first time film this is a masterpiece yeah oh yeah, yeah th- there's... For, for a first film out the gate this is kind of ridiculous there's there's uh, only some light touches where like oh that's a tarantinoism but a really amateurish way to approach that like the title sequence to me seems like mm. a parody of itself and but but the rest of it i'm gonna need your help here Almost everybody in this, I feel like this is one of their best performances ever because everyone's very good. Everybody needs to act a lot. lot They get a lot of business. Each one of them is a very well defined character. 
even in just little things like Chris Penn always wearing Chris track Penn. suits. Chris Penn, it's Chris Penn kills it in this. I don't out of the fucking blue. I, I don't know if there's a better Chris Penn role in the history of film. Yeah. And uh, Harvey Keitel, Steve Buscemi. Thank you. This breaks him. In this, this, this breaks him. The, he he's officially moved up to a, hey, it's that guy off this movie. Yeah, and yeah. I think up until recently, like. Didn't if you ever to do like a Steve Buscemi impression, you do an impression of Mr. Pink in this movie, mm. but yeah, he never the, plays the, it this this the hard. Tipping conversation, I, I think people still quote it to the day. Oh, I, if yes, if I someone <laughs> is trying to get out of tipping, they may quote this movie and not even realize it. Yeah, Ugh, I hate non-tippers. Uh, oh. Yeah, all right. Is Here's, this is this Harvey Keitel's best performance? Oh, Mean Streets, maybe. I just watched Mean Streets. This is better. This is a better okay. performance. He is really good, and this he made this movie happen. He, he yeah. is why this movie happened, Harvey Keitel. He got his hands on this script from like a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy. Yeah, it, it is ridiculous. Like, it was. It it should not have been made. It's like someone was rolling all sixes to get the script passed on to three other people to get to Harvey Keitel, and then he was like, "All right, I'll do this," and that instantly bumped this up from ultra low budget to just low budget and mm. that's what made it yeah and it premieres it premieres is it this week at sundance or this is the wide release this is the wide release okay. sundance it exploded everyone was like what the that's fuck? that's what i wanted to ask ask you diana before you get into your thing i'm sorry i just mm-hmm. so i don't forget is everybody's experience you saw this after pulp fiction because that that's no a, so yeah i, I figured you because i don't remember i get i wasn't paying attention to movies of this level on the on on the level I do now back then, so I I saw this after pulp the Pulp Fiction craze and oh, fell in love with it. This so. is why I immediately I showed up to Pulp Fiction day one. I okay. was like, I want to I, I want to see what else this guy is going to do. Is he going to do something different? And the critics are all so so you you remember so you, you remember how this was received by the film going community? It was it a mainstream yeah. success? Really, I mean, it, it was sort of a word of mouth thing. I think it did way better when it hit VHS. Yeah, because it, it has a it made... domestic gross of three million dollars, making its yeah, money back. But like, you know, yeah, it made its money back, and then it just became this thing of like, like I don't know where I'm going to see this, hearing about it from Sundance or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when it hit, finally hits VHS, and it becomes a, like, I watch this now, I take it over to my friend's house, and you have to see this. Mm-hmm. And it's like everyone, you know, just people were talking about it, and it's popping up in like magazines of like, this guy, he's really doing a thing and it's like but the violence though you gotta watch out that violence is this going too far it's like i guess when they splashes the gasoline on the guy and his ear is already gone off that's it's pretty gross the part that makes go, oh fuck <laughs> i mean it's just like a prolonged torture sequence that maybe that was yeah. the kind of thing we hadn't you didn't get on a regular basis yeah, yeah exactly i think you're right tim tim roth in a pool of blood screaming for most, most of the movie <laughs> most of the present tense of the movie yeah yeah but all right here's what i gotta talk about Ringo Lamb's City on Fire. Excuse me. 1987's movie City on Fire by Ringo Lamb oh. is heavily borrowed from in this movie, along with Kubrick's The Killing. Yes. Obviously, you got a little taking a Pelham 123 in there with the color-coded guys. And it pissed a lot of folks off. I don't know how I've become the Hong Kong cinema expert on this show, but apparently I have. <laughs> it, it's pretty obvious that he's getting a lot of inspiration just straight ripping off chunks of of city on fire and a lot of the shots and how things are set up and it took him a while to kind of say yeah and it's like it's okay to steal 
from other filmmakers for a good reason. You know, mm -hmm. they say good good artists borrow, great artists steal. But you always have to acknowledge where you got something from. And I understand as a first-time filmmaker, you definitely don't want to say, oh, yeah, I stole it all from this other guy who you could totally go hire right now. <laughs> not, not a 50-year-old movie. You know, it's, you know, if Scorsese says, oh, I stole this shot from Ruben Mamoulian, no one's calling him up because he's dead. Right. And, he, and, and if you know about his history, he's working in a L.A. video, famous L.A. video store, essentially absorbing yep. every movie that is released around the world and in and, and throughout history. Because I, I do remember when like post Jackie Brown, the heat was kind of off Tarantino, didn't make stuff for a while. Like the Internet was filled with compilations of like dialogue. He did lift like wholesale, like entire sequences of dialogue or shots. But like that's kind of why we love him. I haven't seen all those movies, but I want to see something gritty from the 70s referenced. <laughs> Which is why I always think that you have to talk about Tarantino and Scorsese to yeah. together. You can't talk about Tarantino without talking about Scorsese because they are both sponges yeah. who absorb so much. They are walking encyclopedias of film. My, my favorite Scorsese quote is, it was someone asking it. him about if he was a genius. He's like, I'm not a genius. I've just seen more movies than you. And, yeah. and <laughs> but he he can absorb and retain that. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's the thing that's amazing. And then use those tools to tell whatever story you are telling. Mm -hmm. And that's that the thing. It's the Tarantino having appreciation for this older thing. And that's why I got so annoyed. Everyone just ripped off Tarantino. It's like, no, go rip off the things he's ripping off. Go back farther. Go to the source and steal. And, and, Come on. And in this day and age, a, a film that was directly inspiring a hit film, we'd be able to discover those films a little easier and they'd be, they, at least a little fame would have got, like come over to, what is it? Uh, City on Fire? Where like, mm -hmm. I have, you know, I think I heard of this once while looking at Reservoir Dogs. I've, I've never been able to see this movie. Chow Yun-Fat movie. Yeah. It's worth it. It's a damn good movie. And, and, and. But yeah, you can see it and be like, oh, that's a lot of Mexican standoffs there, Quentin. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm but, telling you, those those compilation clips predate YouTube, and I haven't seen one in years. Well, I, I think the important thing to recognize about Tarantino is a filmmaker is that fundamentally he makes movies about movies. He doesn't make movies about real life. He makes movies about other movies. And that's fine. You can absolutely do that. But it does present a different narrative than a lot of other filmmakers but that's where his voice comes from yeah mm -hmm. again it's it's about like a, a jewel heist that is never it, they didn't film it for budgetary reasons but then they realized they didn't really have to like that wasn't yeah. really it wasn't important what went down in the robbery it's that it went badly and, let me yeah. let me throw this question out what up mm -hmm. does steve buscemi's character live hell no no no, nope. no. We see nope. him grab the diamonds and run out. And we hear no. We hear sirens and gunfire, and then the sirens kind of subside, as if dude's dead. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the message: is that nobody got out. Yeah, right. It's. It, I think it's. You're led to believe everyone's dead. Turns out you're not going to be okay. I, <laughs> maybe the most notable movie this week. It's rarely the first one we talk about. Uh, let's yep. see what Siskel and Ebert had to say. The two most famous film critics of this era, thirty years ago. All this dialogue. The rest of the movie is is empty. It is empty, and and that's the problem. There, it isn't a, about anything. And I know that style is very important, and I know that other uh, crime films can be stodgy, and this can seem fresh by itself. But 
basically you get the point real quickly and there's nothing more to say okay our video pick of the week is next a superb film that dramatizes one of the frightening episodes in the world of the playboy empire <laughs> oh so, but so there, there's no like indication from arguably two of the best film critics in all of history yeah. that we are witnessing the birth of a new genius nothing yeah, like. yeah. Well, that that was the main complaint besides the violence is people saying that this is all style and all superficiality and guys being cool at each other mm -hmm. but what's it actually about and it's all like, right let, let's oh. throw that out what is it about? okay i think it's i mean but a high school on wrong it's they're crime they're being so hey crime doesn't pay or they're they're so busy being macho with each other that they're not a team they're a series of individuals and that's why things fail i mean yeah it yeah. seems it from what we hear it's that mr blonde went crazy and started shooting the place up which means he is not part of the team the, the, teamwork makes right. the dream work that's the message the, qu the question sort of be, that, that is that is one question i walked away <laughs> of this screening with because they don't do enough to portray anything psycho about Michael Madsen's character. In mm -hmm. fact, he's portrayed as like noble and steady. Didn't talk for years. Anyway, anyway, I can't, yeah, Reservoir Dogs, yeah. I haven't felt compelled to watch it in years. It's fucking great. It was fucking awesome. Yeah, just, yeah, it's, it is fun to go back to it and try to look at it with fresh eyes mm -hmm. of like how, how, how did I feel about this in 1992? What was people's reaction? And then, yeah, now that we've had what, eight, nine, Tarantino movies and where he's yeah. gone you see like oh yeah he's definitely developed as a director he, he was good he was good back then he just he made some very again stylish choices and I, fin I finished the screening at four in the morning and immediately threw on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood it's my <laughs> drunky lullaby film anyway let's move on to a much worse movie <laughs> yeah Shooting back to Columbus, better cast than the previous film. Uh, Mark Regolis, Franklin mm -hmm. Jella, Kevin Dunn. Oh, God. Chicky Cairo? Cairo? Yeah, why Close not? Enough. Michael Wincott, Sigourney Weaver, Omar Armand Sante, and Gerard de Depardieu in 1942, Conquest of Paradise. <laughs> what? Ugh. It's a World War II movie now? It will take oh, excuse me. <laughs> 1492. Maybe the trailer will explain. World of grandeur. Why should I believe in you, Senor Columbus? Were you never ambitious? Deliver you to a time of wonder. We will work with his people. We want peace. Overwhelm you with the power of the truth. There is something that will never change. I did it. You didn't. Gerard Depardieu in a Ridley Scott film. 1492. Conquest of Paradise. Rated PG-13. My God, the fucking Deep Impact Armageddon Bugs Life Ants <laughs> dueling films that no one talks about. We talked about a few weeks ago this Saul Kine's Columbus movie that was trying to beat this movie to the box office. And even though I think this is a much better movie, this movie did mm -hmm. much worse as a result. I, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm going to come to bat, and I, I don't think either movie is good. Right. No. I think this is the worst movie. And I say that Ooh. because I don't think this movie knows what it wants to say. It starts off as being a, uh, an attack on faith with the Inquisition being the enemy mm -hmm. and Columbus being shown as this radical free thinker. Okay. Mm -hmm. But then pretty soon after that, his belief in the land far off is shown to be completely irrational and based solely on faith with no basis whatsoever other than the fact that he wants to believe it to exist. He says on the trip that actually the land could be twice as far as he says, but he has faith that it isn't. What mm -hmm. the heck? If it's twice as far, you have literally doomed 
everyone on the ship, including yourself, <laughs> to death. And I, I think that's, humans need water. Even the criticism back then of the film was like, you know, not just an inaccuracy. It's like Columbus is portrayed as a, a man who followed his beliefs and like, really though like or did he follow the money or was mm-hmm. was he motivated by other things like i oh, know i just yeah. believe but let me let me keep keep going because so, okay. then the movie goes off into this thing of well columbus is actually an imperialist who is against imperialism yeah oh okay <laughs> or willing to use uh-huh. imperialism and it to it get goes off to... and it goes and in the end he is defeated and he's heartbroken that other people is giving the claim to fame for showing that the world is round and that this newcomer Amerigo Vespucci is being named the <laughs> continent after. Yep. What, what's the story there? What what story is this movie trying to tell? The other Columbus movie yeah. was bad, but it had a more coherent story that it was attempting to tell. This is all yeah. over the place. Mm. It's shot That's beautifully true. because yeah, it's yeah. Well, Scott, but it's I mean, all it's also, over the place. It's also taking up way more covering more history than the other one the other ones before he leaves he gets the money he goes he comes back that's the end of the movie this one he goes to the new world and comes back at the one hour mark he's back and it's like there's still half the movie left you're like oh god more than half the movie because this clock's in well over two hours yeah and i think that's that's the truncated cut i couldn't stand this film (laughs) streaming free on youtube by the way it's a pip and it goes for the bio pick of, yeah. you know at one point they say they should have someone say to columbus columbus has to think about his whole life before he's <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah. But, no, but... so here's here's my here's my thing because uh, yes i watched the entire goddamn movie yeah. and it tries to fit in a lot of the bad things that happen and make columbus personally blameless for them mm. it acknowledges that like oh yeah they enslaved these people and made them start getting gold and stuff but it's always someone else did it. And he's just like, yeah, too bad that happened. And like Kevin Dunn is saying, like, there aren't enough of them to do this work. We should Im- we should uh, bring in black slaves. We should go capture some Africans and bring them here. And he's like, do-do-do, walks away from that conversation and just, <laughs> they, they, yeah, they make him Build me a PowerPoint and let's do it. Like, yeah, they, they have to try to square the circle of bad things happened. All these people were enslaved, murdered, shipped off somewhere else, their culture destroyed. But we don't want it to be him personally doing it. It's just, it's a very passive voice. Things happened, mm-hmm. not they were done. And I, I think part, and they, part of they the do just... have to skip some of the, uh, you know, a lot of the religious stuff because it's still there. You know, the idea is right. that we're going to go Christianize everybody. But they, they always leave out the part where it's like, we want to Christianize everyone and steal all their money so we can go take Jerusalem. This is for, it's a fundraiser for a crusade, man. And and I think part of the justification for the movie is that kind of miraculously, there were a, a bunch of information dug up about Columbus semi-recently, like in the 90s. So the movie's touting like, you're going to learn things about Columbus you've never known. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. I think there were plenty of historians that already knew all this stuff. No, no, there literally were like millions of letters discovered and transcribed that no, led to... we have very little of Columbus's actual words. What no, no, not, not letters not letters to him or by him, but things about him at the time. The, okay, that's a different and, thing. And, okay, and the yeah. reason, the re- only reason I thought that I thought that was fascinating is looking at the box office gross for this film. Nobody in America gave a shit because it, it, <laughs> it doesn't seem like a very American movie anyway. But then overseas gross, 
I think, well, in France, Gerard Depardieu is their biggest star, does great. It's the highest grossing movie in Europe. And I just thought that was sort of fascinating looking. I've never looked at Columbus from a European's perspective or how he's talked about if you're over there, not so much Mm. a conqueror, but this the first dude to go to space kind of thing rather than yeah. we think of him as the guy who discovered our our home they think of him as the guy yeah. who left and found something new and yeah yeah uh, i mean there's a couple good things about this movie i'll get them out of the way please it, it is very visually beautiful unbelievable um, actually I, yeah I, really I, good I ridley like, scott knows how to do a shot who would have guessed he, he knows what he's doing i do like that they talk about the the reconquista the pushing the moors out of spain mm. and show this the spanish crown being based in all these clearly moorish buildings you know the the alcazar and seville that it's like oh you did this to the moors now you're going to go do this to the indians you don't even realize that's what's about to happen is you're just pushing people off their land and stealing their shit for whatever fucking reason jebus i guess um it gets some of the wonder, right? Like the idea of you land somewhere you've never been before and you see a parrot mm-hmm. and you don't know parrots exist in that color. Like it would freak <laughs> your shit out. You'd be like, holy fucking shit. And yeah. then on the flip side, when they come back and the natives see a dude on a horse, that would blow your fucking mind because you, you don't know horses exist. It's like, okay, got some of that, right? That's I appreciate that because the other one had none of that sort of thing. But it's still... I found it's just really paternalistic, especially towards the Native Americans, the idea of like, they are children in nature. They're so peaceful and beautiful. It's like, they're just people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where you're I, from. I want to go to bat again for last of the Mohicans. Yes. The Native yeah. Americans in it had agency. They were on the losing side, but they still had their own goals, their own uh, plots, their own decisions. Nope, not here. And, and I, I have nothing smart that smart to say on it, but having watched this so so close to last of the Mohicans, these huge historical grand productions, this is very similar to the production level of Mohicans probably surpasses it, but I don't care about any of the people in it on the level. We do Daniel day Lewis in, in, in the Mohawks in last of the Mohicans. No one, I could find anything to relate to. I, Gerard Depardieu is like obviously a great actor, but the dialogue yeah. is still shitty. <laughs> this is one of his better English language performances, which makes me feel sad because yeah. I feel like for so long people, uh, non-Francophones have not understood what's the big deal with that guy. It's like, he's a great actor. He's just not that good in English. Yeah. And he's, and I gotta sure, say, I found usual. the accents to be distracting. Gerard yeah. Depardieu has an <laughs> accent. Mm-hmm. Gorney Weaver is speaking general American <laughs> yes. as the queen of Spain. Yeah, she's great. She, she's the best yes, thing in the I whole movie. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. And you got a Marta Sante. He's kind of doing an accent. Jackie Cario has got kind of a different accent. Mark Margolis. Oh, no. Salamanca's here. <laughs> I love when that guy shows up. Uh, yeah. Ridley Scott <laughs> blames Americans' distaste for foreign accents for the the ultimate failure of this film but like oh honey that is not the problem right and i i just don't think even before we looked at columbus in a much different way i don't think americans were kind of that interested in like we know the boats in the it, we we know this we, we this doesn't need to take three hours to tell it's not that interesting a story except maybe for europeans who did go see this movie including like this is shot all over the place but uh, it's a, it's mostly spain shit's built in spain it the movie premieres a week early in spain it is like a big deal for spain so they clearly have a different view of columbus i think probably even today than we do 
despite yeah. their complicity in certain things. Well, well and I think I heard our... the nation of Columbia has yet to change its name. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and the changing people's changing feelings about this just comes with information. If yeah. you just hear he landed, he discovered the place, and then people came and settled. It's like, oh, well, it sounds nice. They rebuilt rebuilt massive ships here. I'm going to call them the Larry, the Moe, and the Curly. I know what they are, but who cares? But they're they're huge and and, and just unbelievable things to build for a movie. And and millions of people still go look at them where they sit in Spain. I I, I don't know. I just, that's all I could think about in watching this movie. I think this is boring. I would never recommend it. But like Europe liked this for some reason. So uh, yeah. If the ships are still tourist attraction Mm -hmm. then that is something in favor of this film existing there is actually another film this year that i consider to be really bad but i am happy it exists because of the tourist place it created can't be pluto nash right that was interesting i can't wait to figure out what the fuck jr is talking about hopefully he remembers by the time we get there oh i'll remember he will it's a very vivid memory for me okay and then Guys, oh. we talked. Oh shoot! It's not pitch black though. That's one of my favorites. Guy, we talk so <laughs> just, much about Australia. There's just some spaceships sitting out. <laughs> we talk so much about no. the previous two movies, and that is not what America decided it wanted to see this week at all. No, get Let's ready, everyone. It, it, needed, it needed to make the most asshole action star of all time get a series of films for the next 30 years no matter how fat and out of shape he gets (laughs) this is the film that ensures he can still find work to this day indeed um hard on a boat die hard on a boat nick mancuso dale die andy romano patrick o'neill cole meany uh my doppelganger kind of erica erica Elena Eliniak and Gary Busey and Tommy Lee Jones and of course Stefan Seagal. It's number one at the box office this week. Suck at Columbus and Tarantino. Under siege, baby. A terrorist controls the most dangerous weapons known to man. Bang, you're dead. Wake up the president. But there's one weapon he doesn't control. Steven Seagal. Are you some special forces guy or something? I'm just a cook. Tommy Lee Jones. This is not the word of a cook. So I just watched this for the first time. And what I love, one of the things I love about doing the show is that I've had to go back to Steven Seagal's career from the beginning. And I've never been a huge Seagal fan. I think he's personally one of the bigger pieces of shit who's allowed to top line films. I, I have to throw this out. I know never ever listen to any podcast but us yes but if you happen to do it the behind the, the bastard episode ah. mm-hmm. on steven seagal is i wanted to bring that so, up too so much more entertaining than any steven seagal film you have ever seen just listen to that two-part episode you and you'll be you amazed. just wouldn't believe how much how tied he is to certain fascist instances in, in addition to sexual assaults and being a pain in the ass and suck someone who sucks to work with but but Driving but but truck into someone's house i believe yeah as 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 a deputized cop and anyway steven seagal as an actor kind of comes out of nowhere and that's why that episode of behind the bastards is so fun because you can speculate a lot on how he got to do this i it was it the mafia more than likely it was an executive he was an a an executive's karate teacher 
And the relationship between a grown man and his karate teacher is very intimate and odd and something most women can't understand. And sacred. Because it's sacred. And he gets elevated to making these movies. And these movies cost nothing, are technically nothing new, but a little more violent. And Steven Seagal was a capable martial art, on screen martial artist, especially back then. And every single movie makes more than the last. This is now Warner Brothers, I think, trying to find vehicles to fit him because every. He has a touch of gold, and now they're going to put like a sizable budget behind him, buy this script for a million dollars, which, as Diana said, is just Die Hard on a Boat, but it's still... Die Hard on a Boat. It's still pretty awesome. (laughs) It's still pretty good. Yeah. This is the best Steven Seagal movie of all time. This is the only... Not even close. It's not even close. (laughs) It's not written for Steven Seagal. You could put any... Yeah, I think it was originally written as a duo... And, and and it's not only that, it's the only Steven Seagal movie, starring movie, that has certified fresh and rotten tomatoes. It's the highest grossing Steven Seagal movie by a fucking long shot. And it's the only Steven Seagal film nominated for an Oscar. Best sound and what? editing. Yes. So, uh, all right. It's, it's the best it has, by every definition. Yeah, this thing, it, it has a pedigree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's written by the guy who wrote Pretty Woman <laughs> and it's directed by the guy whose next movie is The Fugitive. Harrison Ford decides to do The Fugitive because of watching this movie, which feels yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah, but because, yeah, it's it's a solid, tight movie. They just explained the entire thing. It's Die Hard on the USS Missouri mm-hmm. and it, Tommy Lee Jones John who, McC- who has, is, John McClane is a capable fighter. And yeah. that's the big difference. And it is a big difference. And, and, and what I was saying about Steven Seagal's trajectory and what Diana was saying earlier about like film nerds know about these Hong Kong action films, but they're not really getting over here and getting pushed the way American movies do overseas. These movies kick ass overseas at the box office. Yeah. What do you got to know? It's easy to translate. Yeah. It's mostly action. The dialogue's very simple mm-hmm. and does it get. Yeah. And Tommy Jones and his overacting. <laughs> Ugh. Works even if it's silent film. I, I think they said nine actors from this appear in the Fugitive, in, like next year. Tommy Lee Jones just feels like he comes out of nowhere, and he's a guy who's been around. It's kind of like a B level guy. Our second until, episode like, of Thirty Twenty Ten. He's in that movie, or first episode. It's a Tommy Lee Jones failed vehicle. Oh, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones uh, supercar, movie. supercar movie. Last year he had JFK, which he got a lot of attention for, but it's a small part. But he's just been just sort of a working actor just all around guy and it's like this is a pretty big part for him at mm-hmm. this point in his career and he just he's so over the top it's hilarious awesome. he's so great and i did not realize erica alaniak mm-hmm. the the girl in this is the little girl that kisses elliot in et being hypnotized as he hypnotized elliot with the coors beer yeah cool when he release, releases all the frogs he yeah. kisses a little girl and she grows up to be uh the fake stripper in this movie yes <laughs> Would it shock you to learn that it was Steven Seagal's idea to have his sidekick be a stripper? No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, I had to double check. It turns out it is for Under Siege 2, where he wanted to audition Jenny McCarthy in his hotel room, uh-huh. and she should get in her underwear so he could see how she moves. Yeah. He's come. There's yeah. some uh, couple accusations out there about Steven Seagal. Uh, look it up. Piece of shit. Huge piece of shit. And and Huge that's piece of shit. to be and honest, never we, we were trying got... to do a podcast about him, but I just kept having mixed feelings about making fun or exalting this person because yeah, private I hate Steven Seagal as a human being. This is not my favorite Steven Seagal movie, but I was having a kind of a blast watching these 
eighties cheesy cop movies, man. They're real fun. And yeah, but and he pisses away the opportunity yeah. for to for true mainstream stardom. He's always gonna be bumped down to a little bit more of a B stuff because his ego af- after this. He takes two years because he wants to make his passion project that he wants to direct <laughs> called On Deadly God. Ground, oh, yeah. which is <laughs> everything you should not do in your career. Yeah. I don't remember if he sings the theme song, but he might as well. Oh, he does have a couple country albums out there. He does have some albums. Uh, yeah. But yes, Under Siege, fine movie. Fuck Stevens and Rome. Um, yeah. yeah. So let's get into television of 1992, October 7th uh, the 13th, real quick. Sorry, Woo-hoo. last question. Oh, sorry. Mm. Why hasn't Steven Seagal been in any of the Expendables movies? I thought he was. I bet he refuses. Or, or, uh, or they don't want to talk to him because he's scum. Or, he, uh, dude, the guy does not have professional friends. Everybody mm-hmm. who's worked with him has a terrible story about him. And I okay. bet Stallone doesn't like him. It, That's it, probably it. Yeah. And moving into television in 1992, October 7th to the 13th, a uh, wonderful episode of The Simpsons, Homer, the heretic. I know a lot of hay is being made right now about the impossibility of The Simpsons' single working parent, middle class, homeowning status. But to me, the, seeing The Simpsons on television, the thing that dates it the most is they're like the last thing I see consistently on television where a family goes to church on the reg. But but it shouldn't be that. I looked it up. Mm-hmm. 22% of all American families attend church every week. True. Wow. But I think The Simpsons was the only one willing to mine humor out of that, especially right. in the early 90s. That's a good point. And yeah. it's not even mentioned on most other shows. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> it's not something that you see in 22% of shows or even... I'd say 3% of shows. And I know for a fact the church closest to where the Tanners live on Full House is a roller rink now. So it's, <laughs> it's not, true. Not and doing, it's sweet. Yeah, there's, it's not like they're doing that in hedonistic San Francisco, I'm sure. But I'm sure Tim Allen's taking his kids to church in Michigan. But yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that would be a natural fit, honestly. Home improvement. They should go to church every week given that group. But as yeah. a, a budding, annoying atheist which, you know, I don't really <laughs> consider myself much of one anymore, just whatever. The Simpsons was pretty biting. Like, questioning the going to of church was something I had not seen a television show do. And, uh, yes. Everyone is stupid but me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everyone yeah, is that's, stupid but yeah. me. Wait, I have to ask, is is this the episode where we get the wonderful, one of my favorite portmanteaus, sacrilegious? Sacrilegious. Yes, I believe Yay! this is the episode where Homer is making his special waffle. Yes, uh, which is Caramel. I was I vaguely considered making it for this show and eating it on would air. Would not have lived. But oh, yeah, no. yeah, once he started adding liquid smoke and a full stick of butter waffle mix, <laughs> I, I was like, nope, I'm not going to defictualize this. And then you wrap it around an entire stick of butter. I was. I knew about the butter. I was willing to take a bite out of oh, a stick of butter for oh. our fans, but oh. I was not willing to eat liquid smoke. What's this? What's this clip about? Because this is Homer, by the way, deciding not to go to church anymore. So at the end of the show, Homer is saved by all his friends of various different religions, and I just love how Reverend Lovejoy refers to each religion. Homer, God didn't set your house on fire. No, but he was working in the hearts of your friends and neighbors when they went to your aid, be they Christian, Jew, or miscellaneous. Hindu, there are 700 million of us. <laughs> oh, that's super. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's just that oh uh, that's super at the end that kills me every time and 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 still uh, daring television i don't see a lot of modern shows taking the stab at religion either uh, on network television so yeah they don't have the cojones this yeah. is uh fox at its let's be daring height yeah you know this is them willing to tackle things that other networks are not willing to tackle and i do not know who the fox of today is fox is not the fox of today i feel like they can get away with it because it's animated and we know these people aren't real and don't have real souls and they won't actually go to hell right <laughs> if if this was live action and they did this people would have yeah. lost their mind. it's true, it's true. So, uh, to this day like I see a new episode of Family Guy occasionally, and like you, nobody in live action would be able to get away with this shit, this kind of content. Not even, not even a show on Fox. Moving on to something, you know, wonderfully problematic as well. Uh, J- Michael Jackson's concert live in Bucharest, the Dangerous Tour. It airs on HBO. It's this is Michael Jackson's first televised concert. I j- he just hadn't done one before, and he oh. goes off on out. Yeah. This is huge. This is gigantic, and this is this is peak michael jackson or gosh darn near to it It and i i looked it up for eight straight years michael jackson has been highest earning dead entertainer in the world averaging around 75 million per year he slipped out of first place one year but that was only because the guy who wrote charlie and the chocolate factory yeah Mm. sold his entire estate Ah. like everything for mm. his things for one year so after that they're not getting anything because it's just all sold right but mm. you know, other than that he's consistently the highest paid dead entertainer in the year and if you listen to been canceled sick of star wars uh mm. alec guinness is up there that dude ah. he makes yeah. he signed such a crazy deal as lucas was begging him to be in star wars that he gets like five percent of the of everything for the rest of his his non-life oh. <laughs> it's thinking i i was hoping it was that kind hearts and coronets money because he plays eight parts so he gets eight times the cash it's amazing <laughs> and <laughs> please go watch any other alec guinness movie <laughs> bridge any over of the river Kauai. Amazing. Kauai amazing is a masterpiece what have i done in it um my god kind of yeah but his comedies are so much fun and, and uh speaking of star wars there's a new episode of star i know jr's pissed at me already i was trying to anger people <laughs> with that and there's a new episode of Star Wars, Star Wars, The Extra Generation. No, TNG, we have a very special guest star on an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. The Enterprise, show me the bridge of the Enterprise, you chattering piece of... There have been five Federation ships with that name. Please specify by registry number. <laughs> it's uh, James Scotty doing on The Next Generation... How does he get here? Because like a lot of the... so it's a transporter malfunction yes. where he's stuck in the transporter buffer, so he's neither beamed up nor staying down for seventy five years. And mm. so this is you know this is a way to get someone to jump forward seventy five years without being ancient like Bones was in the very first episode, or longer lifespan because they're an alien like Spock mm. was. Mm-hmm. So you know. It's a sweet thing. It's a love letter to the original series. You know, they recreate the set of the original Enterprise in the holodeck. That's the clip you heard Mm -hmm. was him getting drunk and wanting to see it. And then him and Picard have a nice little talk. It's sweet, but it's not a great episode in and of itself. It's Hmm. just nice to see the old character that you loved 
back again. But I mean, the problem is Scotty is an engineer. Can you imagine an engineer from 1948 being mm. of any use on a modern right. carrier? Uh, what can you do for Google? I could make a mouse trap, by gosh, like the perfect mouse <laughs> well, trap. Well, <laughs> actually, some of the guys from the '60s and '70s we definitely need because they designed a bunch of systems that we never updated. True. And so we we need them because no one else knows Fortran anymore. Uh, so you know, maybe that. something like that. Yeah, and and I, I, I like to think that there's like one part. <laughs> There's one part of the enterprise that works on like paper punch cards. <laughs> as, as a light question, does does every member of the original Star Trek somehow get a chance to no. be involved in something next gen? No. Not even if you want to qualify generations, everybody but Spock. I thought Spock had made a next gen appearance at some point. Anyway. Yeah, Spock did. I don't, did Nichelle Nichols? Probably not. Oh, maybe. maybe, uh, maybe Chekhov? I, I don't know. I don't Yes. Only Spock was missing from Gen- and McCoy were missing from Generations, and they they were spoken. For- anyway, that's a question for the audience. Also, this week we have an episode of Saved by the Bell, a show I hate, drunk driving. What's this about? I have no idea. Well, that pump. Zach's scheme to advertise on his friend's back is working. When Slater breaks the news that his arm was badly injured in the accident and he won't be able to play in the game, Zach shows a total lack of empathy for his friend missing the biggest game of the year as a result of his drunk driving accident and asks if he can maybe just throw little passes so he doesn't have to refund the nerds money. When Mr. Belding sees Slater. What? <laughs> this is called. Zach Morris is trash. Zach Morris is trash. Mm-hmm. And it is. 100% of my memories of Saved by the Bell now. For whatever reason, I watched a ton of Saved by the Bell I when too. I was young. Did, and it all went down the memory hole. Like, mm. I cannot remember a thing about that show other than the basic characters. And so, Zach Morris's Trash shows you those episodes in a new light and shows you how utterly sociopathic Zach Morris is in all, <laughs> all so it's an incredibly fun series and it's just really interesting to me that I can't remember bad stuff like mm-hmm. I can still quote the Simpsons uh, even episodes I haven't seen in 20 years but I can't quote the utter garbage that was saved by the bell even though I watched it numerous times yeah it was unavoidable in syndication after a while but speaking of unavoidable in syndication in a good way one of the best episodes of Seinfeld, The Bubble Boy. These days, I, it's, I, I wish I could describe to my younger self, like, you know how your parents and your teachers all hate garbage pail kids in Mortal Kombat? All that's going to be available in Target with no age restrictions in 30 years with a shit more merchandise than you could ever imagine. And, and when I go there now, there's a ton of Seinfeld merchandise, and there's always a reference to The Bubble Boy. It's a great episode. Great episode. Well, they made a number of really wise decisions. You never see the bubble boy in this episode because Larry David went, well, if we see a kid in the bubble, we're going to feel sorry for him no matter what. And I think he's right. I mean, you come to hate this bubble. (laughs) You just, you despise this sickly kid with a passion because you never see him. Yeah. I I love this kind of like, Oh, in a bizarre way, getting back to what I was saying about 1492, where it's like disabled people aren't so brave and so there's, they're not nat- naturally good people because of what they've been through and the suffering and the hope, the hope that it takes. Some people are assholes no matter <laughs> what little group they belong to, you know. Yes, there are disabled people who are fucking dicks. And there's kids that have uh, allergies to absolutely everything that they're not, oh, oh, they're like, little John Travolta, remember, oh, that poor kid, he just wanted to get out and lives. No, this kid's a dick. <laughs> I mean, I still feel bad for him that he's got this problem, but you can call him a dick. Yeah, he's a dick. Uh, 
And one of the most famous lines from this episode is based on a real event that happened to the writer. <laughs> did not yes, know that. Thank you for showing me the photo of the real thing. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. It's amazing. I, I definitely know the clip. Who invaded Spain in the 8th century? That's a joke. The Moors. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's the Moops. The correct answer is the Moops. Moops. Let me see that. That's not Moops, you jerk. It's Moors. It's a misprint. I'm sorry, the card says Moops. <laughs> uh, so I, I was part of a history news group discussion group. And quite often, if you brought up the Moors, someone would, would say, don't you mean the Moops? Yeah, the there's moops. this guy Sigourney Weaver kicked out of Spain before she sent Gerard Depardieu. Somewhere. It's the guys Christopher Walken talked about in that Tarantino movie. Yeah. The Moops. The Moops, <laughs> the moops did yeah, so much I... fucking... I, I end up saying moops a lot of times or even just when I'm talking about, you know, some group in history, <laughs> you know, like the moops. I, yeah, just, I'm just reminded we were playing, we were in a cabin for a wedding playing an ancient Trivial Pursuit game. And my friend, history grad student, thought he got the question right, but it turns out the answer on the card was East Germany. So, so, so too bad. It's quite an old game here. And so, Jr., you sent me a picture of the actual origin of this. Oh, so this is something that actually occurred to the writer. It was a Jeopardy like board this, game. From like the late 70s? Mm-hmm. Yep, late and 70s. And they just made a misprint. And it says on the card, and you can see it, it says, the moop, who are the moops? And you're like, okay, all right. <laughs> But that that word is still so funny that they went with that specific misprint. It could be. It could have been anything. But Calvin Cluelidge, but no, the Moops. <laughs> yeah, it ends funny. up sounding like a unaired Panna Barbera pilot. Uh, <laughs> and before we move on, I just want to say that I think season four may be the best season of Seinfeld. It's when they kind of didn't have to apologize anymore, and mm-hmm. they could do as silly I mean, as they wanted to. We're gonna be getting the airport. We're going to be getting the contest. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of amazing stuff in this season. Indeed. And then uh, moving into games of 1992, there's so much interesting game news here, but I just, I think I saw this mislabeled, but it, it is something worth talking about now because it's history that maybe even Diana, Diana's probably familiar with this, not a huge gamer, but hmm? I saw some headline of Nintendo and Sony agree to work together to develop common technology that may dominate the next generation of video games. Nintendo strung Sony along technologically for such a long time. So and then like completely betrayed them. We're constantly offering them horrible deals, even though Sony was always manufacturing parts for the Nintendo itself, and it was producing games that eventually Sony's like, you know what? What if we made our own console? <laughs> Nintendo wasn't worried, and then here we stand now. I think a majority of my life, the Sony PlayStation has kicked the shit out of Nintendo. Had Nintendo been kind and followed through on their deals, I believe official ties are severed thirty years ago, roughly around this time. But that also, they take all what they learned and they make the Sony PlayStation and kind of create a huge problem for Nintendo forever after. It is, it is interesting, and there are other smarter people out there who can tell you the stories behind the scenes. It's more, it's more than just the CD-ROM for the Super Nintendo or the N64. Uh, they, they really were messing with Sony for a long time. But even, even better, even because be- this is what I was talking about earlier. We did an entire laser time based around how controversial this property was. Even though 
fucking Shaggy just showed up in the most recent incarnation of it. So uh, this month is the reason the ESRB exists. Yeah. Two games wow. in this segment and one game next week. Yeah. Hundred percent, and, and all in the ESRB exists. The wild. Oh my gosh! Speaking of shocking violence, I remember so many pearl clutching stories about this yes. before I even saw it anywhere. Of like, oh my god, this is the most violent that things could ever get ever. <laughs> uh, yes, but uh, here's a little news story: panicking about what's been unleashed on our children in this arcade. Kids relish their victory and their bloody choice. Should they pull out their opponent's heart? or simply rip his head off just to see his spinal cord dangle in a pool of blood. How do you feel about cutting his head off? <laughs> I love that kid. It's fun. And it was. And it was great. And Mortal Kombat was awesome. But I can't think of a more controversial video game in my lifetime, really. No, no. This, this was made all the news stories, made everything. The thing is, it... It's not as good of a fighting game as Street Fighter 2 is a fighting game. No. It's just not. The blood, the gore, is why this game was popular with me and my friends. 100%. And, and, and the story, kind of. Or the idea that there was a story. If, if there had been no blood, we could have mm. given two parts That's, in the I think you're correct on that, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was, oh my gosh, how do I rip out his spine? Yeah. And this is pre-internet. Yeah. So it's like, Asking your friends or waiting, I think, three or four months until some video game magazine yeah. was like, well, maybe we should publish these these codes on how you do these things. I remember going to see my older cousin who was kind of stuck in remote Vermont but had Mortal Kombat, and he didn't know how to do any fatalities or what they were. And me showing him was just like, every character does this? Like, every character does two of these <laughs> what how I'm like i i and i had memorized most of them but like there was no even internet to look it up it, it, but it's just amazing how big mortal Kombat is and how accepted yeah. it is in everything like it just sits in walmart aisles now and no mm -hmm. one raises an eyebrow and uh considering it was going to destroy our childhoods and, po and politicians stating their re-election campaigns on banishing mortal Kombat uh as far as it could go away and then i i, so, I this poor other game gets lumped in just because it uses some of Mortal Kombat's technology. At the time, we thought, oh, this scanned, photographed into sprites thing is the most real games could ever look. <laughs> That's the thing with Mortal Kombat yeah. is I look at it today and I see how horrible it is. Yeah. But my memory from 1992 is I was looking at a movie. This was just as good as a movie. Yeah. And my brain just filled in the details. And I mean, it was, it I was... got so into this game. I did bring a copy of the magazine with all the codes to my yeah. wrestling practice to just to show other people and everyone was like oh my gosh the yeah. codes let's do it and the coach went what it's a magazine on video games yeah like he could not understand the concept and he just went that's pretty lame we couldn't stop talking about it because i think unlike street fighter there's all this weird stuff to discover beyond your fighting moves and that would kind of become a hallmark of the series the interesting things outside of the combat and how cool, how cool the single player could be in addition to the multiplayer. Two actors they were originally wanting for Mortal Kombat. Do you know who they were? Jean-Claude Van Damme? Yes. And when they couldn't get him, do you know who they were looking at? Um, Steven Seagal? Steven Seagal. Seagal. God damn it. I am so glad I do not live in the world where Steven Seagal signed a contract and was Johnny Cage in the Mortal Kombat films for the rest of time. I, yeah. but... He could just say... 
get over here. Oh, get over here. <laughs> uh, he would be a great villain in Mortal Kombat 12. Think about it, Never Realm. But the other controversial game was like almost unfairly controversial because we had so many games like this, but, but because it used Mortal Kombat's graphical style, oh, Senator, Senator Joe Lieberman, the human droopy, hated <laughs> lethal enforcers. <laughs> Is making a game and selling it that encourages a kid to point a gun at a television set and rewards his success or her success by increasing the firepower of the gun, encouraging criminality? No! <laughs> Idiots! Light gun games predate televisions. People have been doing this forever. No, but Lethal Enforcers had a realistic looking, I don't know, Magnum thing that... Yeah. realistic looking gun but it was like blue and orange been graphics if this had been 16-bit yeah. graphics no one would have cared yeah in this light yeah well we virtua cop and uh virtua cop and uh time crisis no one batted an eye but because this had air quotes realistic looking graphics and a realistic looking gun even though it's much worse game than all it's like one of the, <laughs> my least favorite light gun games Le poor lethal enforcers is dragged through the mud but it's a good time for arcades as well because we have i for me kind of one of the bigger polygonal things that I saw was virtual racing, Sega's virtual racing arcade and it's something so primitive, but so groundbreaking. Yeah. I, I'd seen 3d stuff before, but what I didn't know you could do in a 3d environment, it had four buttons where you could change the camera view at any second. And I'm like, what? That is interactivity. That is since untold in the video game universe. And that's just the first time I saw it when was able to interact with it that way. Virtual racing. We also have King Quest, King's Quest 6, Air Today, Gone Tomorrow. Is this the final King's Quest? I, I mean, I know they came up with a new one. I forget a lot of these. I have, Sorry. I have a question for the audience while you're looking into that. What What's the first game with the word Virtua? in the title because uh, i'm trying i just tried to look that up and it's like did you mean virtual i'm like no i put it in quotes bitch you're like well i'm pretty sure you meant virtual i think that was a, a, a thing sega was trying to coin but didn't get much further yeah. than virtua fighter virtua virtua cop and virtua racing it's always every time i've seen that it's just like the copy editor in me just you can't take it i have to give me a well, pen give me a pen put the you think about like taking a descriptor and then making it your own copywritten brand by removing a single letter it's semi-brilliant yeah. And, uh, so there are two more games yes. in the King's West series after this game. And a game I was excited to see you playing this week, uh, JR, Lil' Samson. Holy crud. This is one of those examples of me seeing that they only learned how to make amazing NES yeah. games at the end of its life cycle. Because this is such a gorgeous looking game. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to throw it out here. This is the best looking NES game I have ever played. Yeah, I could probably get wow. with you on that. But it's it's it it's this crushing example of like there are a couple of NES games that through delays or whatever end up coming out after the Super Nintendo, but they look better than anything that's on the platform. They have mastered how to develop on this platform. And Little Samson is like, this does a bunch of stuff that games would base their entire... One of 10 things that a game would base its entire premise off of little samson does all that stuff different abilities powers being able to be different animals like it's pretty nuts and, and pretty clever diana mm -hmm. i want you to guess how much it would cost to buy a copy of little samson just on Apple. And as a result of being released that late it failed and only got discovered later as one of the oh. best games on the platform and making so it like on like on ebay, eBay. Mm -hmm. yeah 
Um, see, MSRP was probably about sixty. Let's uh, take. Let's go two hundred. Let's go good. 200. So somewhere in the neighborhood of three to eight thousand dollars. <gasps> Whoa! This is like the holy grail for many NES collectors. They're like, I want the complete collection of every NES game. There's not that many of this one. It's like one of the best games ever made for the platform. Supply meet demand yeah it's it i was like i have a sealed i have a a complete box copy of say ninja turtles and i was just looking at it today for the nes and it's like it's not sealed it's not graded it's kind of worth a hundred dollars just the cartridge for little samson last went for twenty four hundred dollars and wow. if you can find a copy of the box, it looks like what like in the into the thirty k. Yeah, if you're if you're an unopened copy, I believe it's like thirty to forty thousand. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, I should mention my little bit of research while you guys were talking about Lethal Enforcers. It looks like Virtual Racing is the first game with Virtua in the title it is. that I can find. Oh. It is. I sorry, I, I wasn't so, clear on that. Last thing about Little Samson, there's no text or dialogue in this game. Mm. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, it tells the story completely without text and dialogue, which yeah. is hard to do on the NES, but they pull it off. And its I don't think it's even been like re-released or anything like that. You can't get nope. a, another version of it on Steam or anything like that. Like it's So it's its a rare, fucking, a effing rare game. Got a book coming out this this year, before we get into the music, Arm of, Arms of Nemesis by Steven Saylor. Yeah, so he writes this amazing series, which I'm a big fan of, called Roma Sub Rosa. It's all about a private detective in ancient Rome. He's not called a private detective because they didn't have this. He's called Gordius the Finder. And his whole thing is, I'm really good at finding things, figuring things out. Uh, This is set during the Spartacus uprising, and he has to solve a mystery during it involving Marcus Crassus, Rome's wealthiest citizen. And it's a great series. I recommend it to everyone. I've talked with the author on and off on Facebook for like 15 years now. He's a great guy. And he told me that while writing this novel, his editor told him one paragraph, this sounds like a bad 19th century painting. And he quickly <laughs> rewrote the scene to tone down the melodorama. Yeah, it's it's a great series. And it, if you want a painting by Jerome or Alma Tedima, classical painters sure. of ancient Rome, this is as close as you're going to get to it in book form. All it's right. great. And then closing out nice. this, uh, this of nemesis. once again, long 90s segment with uh, music, End of the Road by Boyz II Men is still number one. I apologize. It's the slow song that keeps on going. Why? Um, <laughs> There's been so much good music out. Stop uh, it. People, people can't let go. It's so natural. It, <laughs> new releases also include this week, Blind by the Sundays, Liar by uh, the Jesus Lizard, Bigger, Better, Faster, More by the Four Non-Blinds. Holy Lord. And then... A piece of cake by Mud Honey, and then we also have Love Symbol. How do we say this? They you say it Love Symbol, but Prince names an album that symbol. Yes, that will become his name soon next year because this is his first album in his deal with Warner Brothers that he immediately decides I don't like this deal. Yes, but I was looking into it, and it's like apparently a version of it is on the cover to 1999, so it's it mm. been sort of his thing for a while, but. This is like the big debut of this symbol. And it's kind of adorable that like all the rock mags had to be sent floppy disks with this symbol <laughs> that they could drop into their wow. text. Because so do you think at this point he's planning to change his name to the symbol? I think he might be. It was, yeah. I thought it That's was to diabolical. avoid certain contractual 
obligations yeah. by changing his name. I think name. it's floating around. Yeah. He's like, the symbol is not just a symbol, it's me. Yeah. Like, okay, that's it just, cool. It wasn't the pretentious act that I thought it was back in the day. It was it kind of a yeah. fuck you to his label. And Everyone yeah. at the time, I think, thought it was just him being weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Because he didn't. He, I don't think he told his full story at the time. No, he wasn't talking that much. Kind yeah. of yeah. He's not news. someone who wants to tell everyone what's going on with him. He wants the art to speak for itself. He's Prince, goddammit. He doesn't have to explain he's himself. He's Prince, goddammit. Also, I was just looking to so four non-blondes, which, I mean, they have one of the great, they're kind of the great one-hit wonder band. They're, yeah, I, I didn't know they that. Got the one song, is, and They, then, like, break up right after this. They're not they friends. Right yeah, and to find out, like, so what happened to him? Because we always make fun of uh, you know, one hit wonders that they just failed and then now they're playing the, the state fair circuit. Uh, their guitarist is a member of Parliament of Funkadelic. Oh, shit. And the vocalist, I know she became a songwriter. I didn't realize she wrote Get This Party Started by Pink and Beautiful by Christina Aguilera. Yeah, I thought I thought from something I read, she was like kind of a last minute replacement for the band. And hmm. then this went big and just like, I don't, we don't know if we want you as part of our band. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be a fucking part of your band. And just like, they don't know each other very well. I thought that was interesting. Yep. So we'll close out with uh, what's up. Even though they don't say that phrase in the song, I don't think. No one thinks that's the title of this song. No one thinks that's the, yeah. No one. You think it's what's no. going You think it's uh, uh, the title of a, what, a Marvin Gaye song, but it's not. <laughs> Actually, speaking of the uh, the church that became a roller rink, the beginning of COVID, our friends used to live right near there. And there was a guy who would sit in front of there in front of the roller rink and sing this song over Whoa. and over and over to inspire the people for COVID. And he said, like, I wanted to murder him. Uh, I, I personally can't stand <laughs> hearing so this annoying. song, so I, I pity you people at the break. But you got to get through it because we've got a lot to talk about in the next segment, 2002. Don't move. Coming to 2002 with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yes, she's got something uh, on the, it's kind of on the charts this week with Bare Naked off the album of the same name. Welcome to 2002. Here's some other music that came out between October 7th and the 13th, uh, 2002. We got Velocity of Sound by The Apples in Stereo. Wonder What's Next by Chevelle. This Is Who I Am by Heather Headley. Sean Nosnuo by uh, Sinead O'Connor, speaking of her last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rolling Stoned by the Cottonmouth Kings. Power in Numbers by Jurassic 5. Not for Sale by Sammy Hagar. Lost Horizons by Lemon Jelly. The Last DJ by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, Golden Road by Keith Urban. Cruelty Without Beauty, Soft Cell's first album since 1984. And uh, we got Bounce by Bon Jovi. A Moment Like This by Kelly Clarkson is still number one. Oh. 
That's a lot of stuff uh, that comes out this week. Hello, mm-hmm. Sammy. I just I'm laughing at Sammy Hagar not for sale because I think they had his last <laughs> album was like a Best Buy exclusive. Anyway, yes. I think you get it free with Cabo Wabo tequila. <laughs> I mean, come on, you <laughs> sold out harder than most people. I remember apples and stereo being indie darlings. I discovered them where everyone should have, as the music, some of the music in The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Holy shit, does that show have great music out of its time. Moving on to little news of bringing to the world of 2002, October 7th to the 13th. Terrorists explode two bombs in uh, Bally's nightclub, killing 202 and injuring 209, mostly foreign tourists. Yeah. Have they were either targeted you... very specifically targeting foreign tourists. A lot of Australians, a lot of Brits. It's, you know, it's Bali. It's... Have either of you been to Bali? No, JR. I, have not. Only... I would love to. You're the one who's been so everywhere. I've been to Bali. Damn. Um, and I went a couple of months after this explosion. Oh. Oh, God. Huh. Yeah. So I was living in Japan. And while I was in Japan, I decided I want to visit as much of Asia as I could. Right. And the Balinese depend on tourism it is such a huge thing for them and that's why the tourist industry was what was attacked bali is overwhelmingly hindu Mm -hmm. indonesia is overwhelmingly muslim and this was a muslim terrorist attack on the hindu island which is part of indonesia to try to get them uh to know more tourists to hurt them to all that stuff so a few months afterwards, I went there because they were desperate for tourists. It looked safe enough. There'd never been anything. And the people were so glad to have any tourists there. And it's such a beautiful, amazing country. Uh, the people are incredibly friendly. They have this really interesting social system where it's all based upon these uh, central houses and the extended family is all living around that one giant house and it's yeah (laughs) it's really interesting food is amazing it's really sad that this happened to it's sad when it happens to anywhere but it happened to the balinese and it hurt them the most it could possibly hurt them Mm. Mm. yeah it was uh, reading up on it because i remembered it was jamias lamia that actually were behind it and a couple people were executed later for it and then there was some talk of like maybe osama bin laden did it and it's like no he just really liked it but (laughs) uh but yeah the bomb maker just got let out of prison early and the australians are not happy about that yeah i mean 200 Mm. people how you pull that off is it's especially me i mean it started with a a suicide bomber inside a nightclub Mm -hmm. so everyone runs outside to the car bomb yeah okay oh that's that's mean 200 people yeah for and for the australians you know they're less than a tenth of our population they're about 20 million so losing 202 people for them is you know per capita the size of 9-11 for us yeah yep wow all right and in a little lighter news i'm gonna go out on a limb and call him my favorite former president jimmy yep. carter wins the nobel Absolutely. peace prize as he should cause... that's fucking rad i remember just being stunned because it and it has nothing to do with anything he did as president yeah it's yeah. all about how cool he is as a former president yeah it's probably because shows... in 2012 we're going to talk about something that he did as a president that was sort of like, 
Yeah, it irritated people, but he was usually right. And then I think through not just Habitat for Humanity, but I remember just like getting malaria drugs like overseas. I think he was instrument. I don't know exactly what this was for, but just every time you read about Jimmy Carter now, it's like that sounds like something a president should do in office. Why doesn't any of the other the other ones just do uh, lucrative Silicon Valley speeches <laughs> at, at, <laughs> at conventions? Gross. Exactly, and uh, it was just his birthday. He's ninety eight. Uh, he looks yeah. very, very old. So enjoy Jimmy Carter while We've you can. We've never had a president reach a hundred, by the way. Really? Wow! Come nope, on, not Jimmy. a single one. And then uh, moving into movies of 2002, October 7th to the 13th, Red Dragon is still number one at the box office. Sadly, man, I love that this starts out with two notorious flops, Oof, like big, two, uh, it, legendary one, failures, and one of them it is not the filmmaker's fault. Okay. I did not realize Harvey Weinstein got involved. R- in the first one, uh, Roberto, ben- yes? Roberto Benini squandering the goodwill of uh, uh, Life is Beautiful with a really insane adaptation of Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. just, just like you said, Zero. in 1492, mm-hmm. this, that this actually did very well in Europe. It did mm-hmm. pretty well in Europe. It got cut up for America. And that's why, yes, JR, 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Yeah. So we have not seen the proper version of Pinocchio, but here in America, it is supposed to be unwatchably terrible. Yep, that's the one I tried because I love Pinocchio is my favorite Disney movie. I've always wanted to see. Like, I cannot wait for that Del Toro version. You seen the Disney live action version yet? I'm too afraid. I, I just yeah. can't do it. I just can't do it. I get it. And it, yeah. I've, I've always I hate that those exist, but I have never seen a bad Disney live action remake. But like uh, you're a billion dollar company, you can afford art. Superfluous, but not bad. They're never bad, yeah. but like they're you don't. They don't have a reason to exist. Like I was telling you, when, yeah. when they market Disney Plus in commercials, they don't show the new Lion King. They show the old one because that's yeah. what people ultimately still care about. And yeah, uh, uh, but this yeah. thing killed Roberto's international career i understand he's still big in his homeland but it was looking like wow could america accept a foreign movie star and nope nope which which was a shame because he was kind of a talk show delight oh yeah you ever seen him change exchange pants with conan o'brien hilarious (laughs) yeah Yeah, and so many of his other movies you know like afterlife is beautiful and i accidentally caught i think i talked about it on the show accidentally caught part of uh, johnny stacchino johnny toothpick and was like this is fucking great i'm gonna dig into other stuff this guy's done and they're really fun mm. and i yeah i feel so bad that you know he, it's an italian book he wants to really capture the yes yeah, it's, it's, italianness yeah, of it if you and go it's there like, it's it's like mm. pinocchio is everywhere it's it's their <laughs> star wars or whatever <laughs> like it, yeah, their story it's, you know, a, it's a beloved thing and mm-hmm. Oh, it just is so weird. Well, I mean, having a grown ass man play Pinocchio. There's a lot of weird choices in that, yes. and that's a big yeah. one. I mean, look at me. I'm the 56-year-old boy. <laughs> um, I already okay. saw it when it was called Clifford. <laughs> it, it, it's, and like, I didn't see the whole thing. I did watch mm. clips on YouTube. And like, remember how terrifying the donkey changing scene is in the yes. Disney version of Pinocchio? Oh, Lampwick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pleasure Island. They don't go with that in this one. They just make it seem like, oh, well, that happened. Oh. Mm. Yeah. So that's odd. I, that's I, one I of my favorite sequences in all of personally. animation. It's awesome. Ooh. And then yeah. and even uh, probably a more notorious bomb, given who's involved yeah. here. Bruce Greenwood, Adriano Gianni, Giannini, and uh, Madonna. 
directed by her then husband Guy Ritchie, swept away. Speaking of live action yeah. Lion King, oh, yeah, no, he didn't. So I when when this came out and everyone the knives were fucking out. Mm-hmm. Everyone was ready because Madonna's like she said, oh, she's kind of got the British accent going, and she's like Guy Ritchie, who's you know really has been kicking some ass, you know, one after the other, and they're remaking this you know other movie that is political and controversial from the 70s starring Giancarlo Giannini's mm-hmm. who's this guy's dad which is just that's weird and so people are ready to hate it so it's like okay so I'm gonna give it a try is it as bad as they said and the truth is yes oh goodness it's bad it's not as bad I think people just naturally wanted to hate this movie no matter what yeah but it is pretty fucking bad and it, it i think it, it always had the stink of a vanity project yes like no one's asking exactly. for this no one's asking guy Ritchie to do something like this Mm-mm. except for his wife it was a remake of a questionable 70s film which is basically what if we did taming of the shrew yeah except you know with more skill than Shakespeare. That's what they're coming at it. With yeah, the I, well, and the original is directed by a woman, Lena Wertmuller, who is one of the, the few big female filmmakers, you know, pre the 90s, honestly. And also coming at it from, you know, it's about class. It's about politics. It's about, you know, rich versus poor. Because, you know, the idea is Madonna plays this rich bitch who uh, is on this fancy yacht trip and she gets stranded with, you know, a guy who works on the boat and he has skills they need to survive and so he starts mistreating her because he can um the best part is when he throws an octopus right in her face it's pretty funny and then stockholm syndrome the movie is kind of the rest of it yeah and this is the end of madonna the actress Mm, you're right pretty much yeah Yeah. she'll direct stuff after this but this was the one where she went i'm not starring in your films anymore Mm. yeah you're right we're post evita though yeah uh it's it's bad and you just you want it to be funny bad but it's like not that's what i couldn't get through it on a hate watch back in the day Mm -mm. yeah and uh, another movie i couldn't be bothered to watch the fourth pokemon movie pokemon forever (laughs) in this one pikachu dies i don't know like we didn't watch this did we no i didn't Uh, watch it but i i briefly glanced at it and apparently there's dark evil pokemon in this one oh, which i didn't know that was a thing and and it's i think this is also <laughs> distributed by miramax so harvey weinstein's got his hand in it too um let's hope the, he, the cuts weren't too savage movie i did see from roger avery the co-writer of tarantino's pulp fiction yeah and we in, got lots of connections this week look at this cast fred savage eric stoltz faye dunaway thomas ian nichols uh, clifton collins jr kip pardue kate bosworth jessica beale ian uh summerhalder uh shannon sauceman and james vanderbeek in the rules of attraction somewhere in the eston ellis verse uh yeah based <laughs> on the brett easton ellis novel starring a character who's supposed to be the younger brother of Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I feel bad. I did not get around to this because I love it when I see something that the critics just are so fucking split on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of people who said, this is great. I remember liking it quite a bit, but yeah, there, I think age might have something to do with it. That there were a lot of critics that were just like, this is just about, you know, college students being terrible to each other. Meh. I don't care about their stupid, you know, uh, hookup culture problems. Meh. And it's like, but that's the quote unquote modern now 20 years old problems of, you know, 
kids haven't been addressed that much in right. film. We've got like American Pie type stuff, but we don't have something darker and grittier. And that's from what I read. That's what Avery was trying to, he wanted to make a movie that would be cherished, not unlike a John Hughes movie, but meant to be viewed by kids. That's who was meant to see this, but they typically don't come out of indie these, this is an indie film made for kids. So it's like, it's going to have a difficult time finding its audience because it is a hard fucking R. And, yeah. and they had to make some cuts, I think, to yeah. get it out of NC-17 territory. Yeah. And I mean, for what it's worth, Brett Easton Ellis said he thinks this is the best adaptation of his work. Yeah. But he's also kind of a crazy person. Indeed. Who's gross. So take that with what oh, you will. And it was, I believe, one of the first major motion pictures edited on Final Cut Pro. That hadn't oh, really happened before. It. Yeah, that did. Yeah, with a wasn't happening yet with movies. So twenty years ago, the the, the software I, even I know how to use was uh, making movies. Neat. Um, so yeah, put put in the credits if this is like something that really spoke to you or you really fucking hate because yeah, it's pretty much just about sex and drugs and college students. Yep. And their hookup problems. Rich and, white people having a ball. And, yeah, the usual stuff. And uh, and then ah, we get. I'm so glad we talked about Reservoir Dogs this week because here we go. More <laughs> of this shit. Yeah, but an ensemble cast including Dennis Hopper, John Malkovich, Vin Diesel, Seth Green, and Barry Pepper. Love my Barry Pepper. Knock around, guys. Knock around, guys. This has been on my list to see forever, and I just did, couldn't get to it this week. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah I couldn't get to it either. There are a bunch of low-level mob guys who maybe want to get higher in the mob. Maybe they don't, and then they got to move some money around and do a drop-off. And Oh, no, something went wrong, and now they got to figure it out, and now these old character actors might come and kill them. I don't know. I don't <laughs> uh, film vin diesel says you have to get in 500 street fights to know what you're doing what okay so is lot. that a malcolm gladwell thing 500 I, fights. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he says in this film and i was thinking the math i mean even if you do one street fight a week per day <laughs> I, uh, I mean <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be uh, crippled by the end of that month and a half. So yeah. what if you did one street fight a week? Even then. Does he know some pro boxers have like 12 fights in their career? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And that's going to take, that's 10 years then. <laughs> it's going to yeah. take you forever to get through that. That's insane. I, I disagree with this. I'm sorry. That's not how I got into a mob. Yeah, that's not how Diana learned to fight. Something, something family. Something, something family. Yes. <laughs> you have to punch 500 family members before. Uh, yeah, your family can't be part of the 500. Those are regular fights. And I'm sorry I sound like sliced alone. Yeah, just no. Everything with mob and hitman and something going wrong. Seriously, like goddamn years after Reservoir Dogs. I just can't. And There's very few that are worth watching. Up next, we have a movie I also did not see. Uh, Elizabeth Shue, Robert Louise, Naomi Klein, Julie Hart, Amy Irving, Victor Garber, Ben Kingsley, Scott Baristow, Jonathan Jackson, Sissy Spacek, William Hurt, and uh, Alexis Bledel. Tuck Everlasting, based hey. on the children's novel. Yep, we get Disney adaptation of the children's novel, and... Ugh. Every every review was like it's it's so earnest it's trying to be more important than it is. Mm -hmm. I remember the book from like fifth grade and it's a good book. You know, it's about a kid who finds out that um, her neighbors live forever. Mm. And um, th how and do you the, feel about he, that? There's there's a magic spring that makes them live forever. 
And the people who live forever don't want anyone else to get it because living forever is such a curse and a burden. You know who writes stories about how bad living forever is? Neil Gaiman? People who are doomed to die. <laughs> <laughs> People who inhabit bags of meat that will eventually degrade into nothingness. True. That's who writes those stories. It's it's just a big Stockholm thing. I mean, if you could live forever, you'd absolutely do it. But because we can't, we write stories about how horrible it is. Oh, I thought you were going to say able-bodied people. No. <laughs> who write stories about living forever. People who like living. People who have no major problems. <laughs> Like, ah, oh, I have perpetual knee pain, and I want to live forever with this perpetual goddamn knee pain. God, just make it end. <sighs> yeah, no, it sounds like it's fine for the kids. Whatever. And a lot, a lot of good people in it. My right, favorite let's get to the good stuff. My favorite movie of this segment by a long shot. Uh, mm. Adrian Dearnell, Saint Melon, or Di Dear Saint Melon? I have no idea. Rick Young. Yes. Didier Seminon, Francois Berlillon, uh, Matt Schultz, <laughs> Shuki, and of course, Jason Statham. It's the goddamn transporter. Jason Statham is the transporter. He never made a mistake until today. You broke the rules. You opened the package. From the maker of La Femme Nikita and the professional. Yes. October 11th, every delivery is guaranteed to be a rush. The Transporter, rated PG-13. I know this is a silly film, but I think it's kind of flawless masterpiece. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And, and, and at this point, I don't know where Jason Statham was. We'd seen him as a tough oh, guy in a bunch of I'll Guy Ritchie I'll movies. I'll tell you where he was. What? Yeah, Jason Statham was some guy. Well, he was, he, he, was made yeah. his, he made his debut in 1998 in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, where he's, it was in he's Snatch. noticeable, he's but the main he's character in Snatch. smaller. Then he's in Snatch, uh, still pretty small character. Ghosts of Mars, no one really cared about. And the one, he's like the second lead, but that's totally a Jet Li movie. No one remembers he's in it. And this is the announcement. Jason Statham is a thing. Yeah. He can open a movie. He is our new actor. He's, he's a martial yeah. arts guy, in, in which, having seen all of those movies, I sort of didn't realize that he was that capable and transporter is silly never open the package never get involved oops i just broke every rule i spent the opening <laughs> of the movie explaining but it's it, luke basson has to be credited for this because what movie we talk about his last week that's just beautiful taken two taken, we talk uh, about taken two which is this is unfair because this is not directed by luke basson no. it's directed by Corey Yu. damn it. right but he wrote it and I think with yeah. the intention of having like a great Hong Kong director, like is he from? I don't know, but like, yeah, but a, yes. a martial arts movie director making a bright European film. And and mm -hmm. my absolute favorite thing about it is if you watch it, it may not set in that the movie is not R and mm -hmm. guns are used constantly. But Jason Statham doesn't use guns to shoot people; he uses them kind of like as a laser pointer to like cut ropes and open doors. Like it's it's unbelievably silly but it's like a fucking cartoon a believable action cartoon and it ne i don't think any of the transporters movies come close to capturing the magic as the first one but i think this first movie is amazing and it's yeah i love the transporter so i went into this film 
having only vaguely heard of Transporter. Mm -hmm. Like I knew nothing about it. It just didn't reach me. And it's a very solid action film. If you like action films, this is definitely going to be in your wheelhouse. You should put this on rotation. It delivers everything you could want from an action film and delightfully ludicrous though right where that's not enough yeah well I, i understand that but at the time you know, only video games were speaking this kind of action language. Ah, mm-hmm. You can deflect a missile with a with a pizza pan. Um, but <laughs> kind of, that kind of shit. Yeah. But ludicrously yeah, delightful def- is what I'd call it. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, upping the high octane-ness with, with more of the Hong Kong pacing and aesthetic in which there's a plot matter. It's pretty simple. You uh, know, I didn't realize Louis Leterrier is credited as the artistic director. Yeah. Not- the two. director he did you know the now you see me an incredible hulk he's mm-hmm. a, also a hell of a high octane uh director so yeah i was what was weird is this is one where it's like the reviews are all sort of like that was fine it's like nah do you, i don't know if it might just be because of the time they didn't realize oh this is where things are gonna yes that's mm-hmm. and that's that's my major point Bonnie. we just talked about a steven seagal movie 10 years ago Steven Seagal is still making those movies in 2002 and once yeah. the transporter comes out you know J.R. you lightly got on like the evolution of action films this is where action films were going and Steven Seagal 100%. was not going to have a place in it and mm-hmm. and, and Jason Statham becomes like the like redefines his career as like this B movie Chuck Norris of the 2000 of the, <laughs> the, the 2000s and, and that's fair yeah the, he is the Chuck Norris of the 2000s. That's yeah, fair. he does the same thing in every fucking movie. And and they're mostly pretty watchable. But The Transporter is something special, I think. I, I think it's beautiful, and you should absolutely see it. In, in a weird way, I feel like it was a little ahead of its time. Yeah. Because when I look at what the box office is doing, Transporter is not the number one movie. It's not even the number two movie. Yeah. It, it gets beat by a rom-com. I, and yeah. it kind of takes a while. I think it might have just done better on DVD. Yeah, I didn't People see it till like, I pirated it. Yeah, uh, they think it was too too foreign. I don't know. They think, well, it's got a bunch of French names on it. Maybe it's too foreign. It takes place in France, and it looks really pretty. And just well, just if you go and see, like, if you went to go see like the B action movies of that era, you know, like the trailers are showing you all the best stuff that happens, and then like this movie sort of doesn't, and stuff happens like that every seven seconds. Like it, it is. <laughs> It, it not 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 to the extent of like the raid and dread, but like it is a no, the very definition of a nonstop action movie. It really doesn't quiet down very often. Car chasing, explosives, gunplay, martial arts. It's awesome. And then the, is this the number one movie this week? The the number two movie. Number two because Red Dragon's oh, right. still number one. But yeah, narrowly beating the transporter. Yeah, that a, shocks me totally. A, a black rom com. I'm kind of loving it because it's got like all the best black rom com people in it. Yeah, Wendell Pierce, uh, Queen uh, yeah. Latifah, Boris Kojo. Am I saying that right? Nicole Harry Parker, Mos Def, Sana Lathan, and Tay Diggs. Brown sugar, brown sugar. Look, y'all, look what they doing over there. The music thing. You remember that feeling? You reminded me of us. The friendship thing. You never thought about hooking up. You get the best of both worlds. You get the buddy and the boo. The real thing. What just happened is the most amazing five minutes in my life. Ten minutes. Whatever. You Queen Latifah. Brown sugar. Brown sugar, baby. Yes. Did not see this movie. Yep. <laughs> Well, and not to be confused ooh. with the black exploitation streaming service, Brown Sugar. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, this is very, very pleasant. It, it is very pleasant. It's produced by Magic Johnson. Didn't know that. And 
it's I mean, it's a pretty typical rom-com about like young, attractive professionals. Mm -hmm. But I like that they could be black. We could have, we could take any just about any rom-com or any sort of movie and you, you just just let black people star in it. It yeah. doesn't matter. It's not about being black. It's not about the black experience. It's not serious stuff. It's about two people who were they were kids, like both fell in love with hip hop. And then as they, you know, grow older, they're both working in related industries and, the, you know, the, the sort of will they or won't they thing they got going of like, well, maybe we're better as friends, but I don't know. You're kind of like the one person that really gets me. Mm. And, you know, and then they like are with other people, but still this other person is, you know, that whole time you were just right there in front of me. But yeah, it's pleasant. It's very pleasant. Yeah. Decent reviews Everyone's as well. You know, everyone's very pleasant. It's, you know, it's just it's just about whether this couple's going to get together. And also some of the like, uh, I've started to work in hip hop for the love of the music. And now it's just about money. Like a <laughs> jillion cameos by so many rap stars, too. Everybody's in this. Big Daddy Kane shows up. Common, Talib Kweli, like Jermaine Dupree. Everybody's fucking showing up. Wow. It's just like walking through. Hi, how you doing? You okay, bye. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah brown sugar was like oh that was nice i like it and it's by the guy who uh directed the wood which is another movie that was sort of like i did like oh, the wood that was did. nice yeah and uh you know modest budget total success you know, eight million take, bucks take kids and sana lathan are both like ridiculously charismatic people mm -hmm. and even though it's you know pretty shallow it's still like oh but i still care about them and i hope i hope everything works out even if they're not together that would be nice Oh boy. Uh, and then uh, moving to television 2002, remember October 7th to the 13th, it's Halloween. So we got a spoopy movie, a TV movie, you know, for the kids. Kim Coates, Robert Boxdale, uh, Kat Dennings, Mark Rendell, Eric Idle, Tommy Davidson, and Kathy Najimy in The Scream Team. Did not see this one either, but it's a Disney Channel original yep. movie. Yeah. Well, I thought throw it in there, especially because we got Kathy Najimy this week. Doing what? Uh, well, we... Hocus Pocus 2 in, which apparently everyone was cr just crying out for. I, okay. I, uh, this is neither the time nor the place, but I love that that movie has found its audience, even though I saw it in theaters and the audience was never really me. I attended a Hocus Pocus 2 party. I got the biggest laugh in the room <laughs> instead of the film for just a throwaway joke when Tony Hale shows up on a billboard as mayor. I just <laughs> went... I'm the town mother, mother. Uh, and <laughs> and I've never seen It's Me, Sarah, laugh so hard. And then we forgot to finish the film. But I'm glad it exists. And people who... I I, it... I, I was never a huge fan of it. Mm -hmm. But my kids thought it was okay. And we watched the sequel uh, this weekend. And it was fine. It was enjoyable. It wasn't the most amazing thing. But I didn't feel any nostalgia to the original Hocus Pocus. And neither do my kids. I, I think but I was... it was purposefully enjoyable uh, Halloween family fair. Like I said with Mighty Ducks last week, I think I was aging out of kid films at that point, at around 12 um, or something like that. So, but, but just like as someone who likes seasonal, especially light horror movies that kids can enjoy, there really hadn't been a chick focused one for a long time. I, I can name you better witch movies. Why are we talking about Hocus Pocus? It's because, yeah, well, well, because the screen team, uh, it sounds like uh, the the ghost of granddad and a couple other ghosts, and they have to do something to help the ghosts. So oh, it's yeah, kind of yeah. like the Frighteners for little kids. Yeah, and, and okay. these these made for Disney Channel like Halloween movies. I I loved Mister the Boogity, Mister Boogity. Like they're not great, but they're like 
awesome to have something seasonal and like with the season horror you can enjoy when you're not capable of watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Love it. And uh, speaking of kids entertainment, Wild and Crazy Kids ends in 2002, but not the one you're thinking of, the reboot. Uh, This was a Nickelodeon competition. They once had a crossover where Mark Summers of Double Dare had his crew on it. And like all kids shows at the time, game shows i wish i had been on it i yes. absolutely would have loved to have been on this show or any of those shows love to play donkey basketball but it i was just looking at clips of the this is a reboot the one i know was from 90 to 92 and nickelodeon replayed the shit out of that for years and it, it, it basically looks like the show Wipeout with no budget and or what i see a lot on young youtube do this for five seconds and we'll give you a million bucks like it's it's very very cheap but it's it's just Wild and crazy kids involve like a yeah, what was that Takeshi's Castle uh, MXC? You kind of mm-hmm. start out with like fifty kids playing instead of three on your double dare guts. Wild and crazy kids. It didn't the reboot didn't pan out. It lasted ten episodes, but I'm good on you for trying Nickelodeon. Uh, my, I'll say this: my favorite, one of my favorite game shows ever. I'm sure we kind of all share the love for Beat the Geeks on Comedy Central. Yep. Uh, I yep. loved uh, that show. I actually had respect for those geeks. Damn it. Their film geeks were pretty good. Go. No, he's like a good writer. Actually, he's like a he's like a good online uh, film critic. Uh, whoever that the the, the Elvis looking chubby dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beat yep. the geeks ends. They had like a TV music and a uh, movie geek, but then they'd have this like revolving. Yeah, the the clip plays it. Oh, okay, like a James Bond geek. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you the geeks. Mark Edward Hoyt, the movie geek. You may know more about movies than me, <laughs> and monkeys may fly out of my ass. Andy Sachs, the music geek. I know more about the band Devo than you could ever handle. Paul Goebel, the TV oh, geek. If I could, I'd put a TV in my shower. I'm working on it. And our special guest geek, Karen Brown, the Michael Jackson geek. <laughs> One of my most prized possessions is a Pepsi can I have with all the autographs of all the Jacksons that I got from the Victory Tour. <laughs> Damn. I, I, yeah, I really like this show, and it's exactly what it sounds like. You just yep. It's basically pop culture trivia, but they have uh, mainstays that you have to beat. And I remember what yep. the movie geek, I remember the one time he rarely lost and he lost to a picture that even I was like, I have a feeling that's the Cohen brothers, but they were in their period of like, do not photograph us. We don't do interviews. <laughs> and he, d- he didn't recognize what the Cohen brothers look like. And, and I didn't oh, either. Yeah. I, I like that they had differing levels of difficulty mm-hmm. for when like they went head to head where it's like, okay, um, contestant name as many bands starting with the letter R as you can in 30 seconds. Geek, letter Q. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, goodness. And he's just starts going, all right, Queen's Queen, right. Queen's Quill. Uh, and I'm out. <laughs> like, I'm, all right, nice. I'm Quill, out. all right. Quill. You could probably, at that Quill. point, couldn't you really just start making up words? Quiver. Probably. Uh, <laughs> uh, Q the Winged Serpent. Uh, also this week, the Birds <laughs> of Prey show debuts, and I am hella confused. This is a CWWB show? I WB. don't know. WB. Yeah, yeah, it was a year after Smallville, so they were looking to try to recreate that success. So the situation is that Batman leaves New Gotham to fend for itself. 
And Batgirl becomes Oracle and takes the secret daughter of Batman and Catwoman, Huntress, under her wing. Right. And a third woman also come on. The problem is that this series has one Harley Quinzel as Batgirl's psychiatrist Ah. after Harley Quinn had been a person with the Joker. That's so Harley Quinn ditched her secret identity and went back to her real name of Harley Quinzel and no (laughs) one questioned this. Yeah. No one was like, I wonder if this psychiatrist named Harley Quinzel who has been missing (laughs) for this entire time (laughs) is secretly Harley Quinn. And it only goes, you know, uh, after, yeah, it only goes 13 episodes. You know, after we were talking about the debut of, of Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. I went and it was like reading up on uh, what's her, her uh, biography that I remember. Are there any things I'm missing? And now I have to call foul on one more thing. No Jewish parent is naming their child Harleen. <laughs> I did not He's know. canonically Jewish. And Yay. This is, show is a difficult. I, she's a doctor. The, this show is difficult to Google because... The more recent movie, Birds of Prey, which is pretty much just a solo Harley Quinn movie with some of the Birds of Prey in it. And it's great. And no one saw it. Uh, It was released at an awkward time during the pandemic. And I encourage you to check it out. I'm sure it's on HBO Max. That movie was pretty fun. Well, I wonder if Warner Brothers is going to try to do another live action show during this entire show that we're talking about this week. And maybe they'll do better in 2012. Uh, Probs is out with the episode My Case Study. On that depressing note, JR, I'm uh, looking at you, Scrubs boy. It wasn't a depressing note. They have they they finally figure it out. They have much more success when we talk about it in 2012. Okay. So yeah, Scrubs is an amazing television show. And in this one, Dr. Kelso challenges the residents to present the most interesting case study. And there's the shenanigans. And then uh, lastly, I know JR teased this earlier, one of our favorite episodes of the show Firefly, our Miss Reynolds in... I would say the nationwide debut of uh, Christina Hendricks. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is when Christina Hendricks breaks out. I'm 100% convinced that the casting directors of Mad Men saw her on this TV show, went, because (laughs) she is like the smokiest smoke show whoever smoked a smoke. It is like the sexiest, hottest, coolest, out of nowhere character. It's like this character better come back and is one of the, few who do in Mm -hmm. the short 15 episode run but like if that show had gotten like a third season i bet she just would have been on the crew yeah i bet you're right i mean she was the perfect antagonist for mal she was incredibly funny incredibly sexy incredibly engaging i'd love to have learned her backstory as with all the firefly stuff i want more i'm left wanting more and i never got it but uh, see i don't i don't want any backstory for her whatsoever because she's a con artist so any backstory is going to be a lie Ah, there you go. I want want four different backstories in the same episode, and we never learn which one is the real. (laughs) I did not know. It was directed by Vondi Curtis Hall. Good for him. You don't know who that is, you would know if you saw him. Man, this is so confusing. God, these episodes aired so out of order. This one opens with a hold up, and I think this is where he has to swear by his pretty floral bonnet to shoot some guy. (laughs) Right. That's when he gets accidentally (laughs) married, drunk and accidentally marries Christina Hendricks. So they got to bring her along. And it turns out she's a con artist and mm-hmm. she's going to fuck up their shit. Great, great episode of one of the great shows of 2002. 2002 games. Got some notable ones here. Godzilla destroy all monsters melee. One of the coolest series that sort of fell off after this. Best um, Godzilla game of all time. Is it? I'm throwing that down there. Yep. All right. 
Yep, I do not think there's a better Godzilla game where you do what you should do in a Godzilla game. In a Godzilla game, you should destroy cities and fight other monsters. Yes. And this game delivers that. This game is just everything you could want from a Godzilla game. Hell yeah. This is, and we have a plot outline here? Yes. <laughs> All Earth inhabitants will be enlisted to do our bidding. You are instructed to proceed to the nearest outpost for processing. Oh, to encourage your cooperation, we have seized control of your monster island facility and have unleashed all monsters under our mind control rays. Monster attack on your major population centers is imminent. Typical <laughs> planet. That's all X. the plot you need for a Godzilla game. Typical planet Yo, X horseshit. We got your monsters. <laughs> I mean, it's it happened. I forget which movie, but that's that's the plot. Uh, we talk about it in the episode talking about the phenomenon of Planet X on Laser Time. Time Splitters Two is also out, a series that sort of fell off, but was like a triple A series for a little while, a time bending first person shooter, kind of a funnier shooter than a serious shooter. What is this? Crytek? Who was that team? They, they they got absorbed into EA, and I don't know where the franchise stands now. But Time Splitters Two is kind of the apex of the Time Splitters franchise, and then of course it wouldn't be. 2002 without a Shrek game on GBA. We got Hassle the Castle. I'm sure it's one of the better Shrek games ever released, even though, unlike the console ones, there's probably no dedicated burp and fart button. Thank you. It, it's a <laughs> pretty garbage 2D beat-em-up game. Mm. Um, my question, though, is this where Shrek is becoming a phenomenon? You know, is this where we're starting to get the build-up to get us Shrek 2 and Shrek 3 and Sh Shrek mm. Forever After? Because the movie came out a year ago. We're seeing multiple video games, not direct adaptations of the movie, mm -hmm. but separate stories in and of themselves. So are they just gearing the pump right now? Or could was it, it that big of a phenomenon? It, that we're, it, it could be, like, but you're right. They did come out a little hotter and more frequently than like stuff even based on Disney properties. And they had a pipeline yeah. ready to push this stuff out. The DreamWorks stuff, there was a lot of, there's a lot of Shrek games, like an un, uh, unbelievable amount. <laughs> and they almost never are just to coincide with the movie. They're all, all different genres, kart racing, fighters, mini game collections. Anyway, that's about it for the 2002 segment. We got one more to go in 2012. And I'll tell you about the fun film I discovered during one of these watches. But let's uh, go out with The Last DJ by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Some people forget our boy Tom Petty is dead. Death was yep. overshadowed by that Vegas shooting. He died, and then uh, 50 other people did too. Yeah, right, that's true. Later. All right, Pete, damn it. Yeah, but we'll go out with that. Stay right there. We'll be right back with 2012. And there goes the last DJ Who plays what he wants to play and says what he wants to say Hey, hey, hey And there goes your freedom of choice There goes the last human voice Hello, Mr. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of October 7th through 13th, two movies hitting 40 this week that I thought I'd shout out. Let's start with, first up, Hal Ashby's Looking to Get Out, which is, he apparently thought was one of his better movies. And it's one of those that's just sort of forgotten. I mean, Hal Ashby did 
coming home and the last detail and Harold and Maud and uh, being there. And this is sort of like a, eh, on, on his uh, resume. I admit I have not caught up with it, but he said it was like the one that he really cared about. So I'm interested to see it now. And it stars John Voight and Margaret and the film debut of John Voight's wee daughter and Angelina Jolie, little seven-year-old Angelina Jolie popping up in that. So yeah, that's from 1982. And then the big recommend though, I almost didn't mention looking to get out because I want to talk about this movie for so long. You, you know, there's movies that are great and you really love them. And then there's movies that are just your favorite. This is one of my favorite movies, period. From 1982, turning 40 years old this week, my favorite year, directed by Richard Benjamin, starring Peter O'Toole and Mark Lynn Baker. And oh my God, this movie makes me so happy because it is so silly and just nonstop fun. It is taking place in the early 50s about a live TV comedy show, which is totally the Sid Caesar show, starring a guy named King Kaiser, just in case we didn't get it. And they have a guest star every week, just like on uh, Saturday Night Live. And their guest star is this Errol Flynn-type character played by Peter O'Toole, completely satirizing his own reputation for being a drunk, crazy person, because this guy is a drunk, crazy person. And... One of the junior writers, played by Mark Lynn Baker, who's not Balky from Perfect Strangers, and I just saw pop up as She-Hulk's dad. Yay! He's assigned to babysit this drunken lunatic, make sure he shows up for the show on time. And then they just start tearing ass across New York, getting up to all kinds of trouble. It's so much fun. Really, really funny dialogue. Goes real fast. Written by Norman Steinberg, who's one of the writers on Blazing Saddles. And, like, it helps to know... I think it deepens your appreciation of the movie if you know about the Sid Caesar show and like what a legendary writing room it had. I mean, it had Neil Simon, Larry Gelbart, who created the MASH TV show, fucking Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner. And, and it's already like, that helps. If you know about that stuff, if you like look up old Sid Caesar show or my show, of sh your show of shows clips online, that will help. But even without, I think you still just, you understand they set it up really well. Everything pays off. Everyone's running around. All the characters are big, mostly played by big stage people. And then the weirdest thing is it's directed by Richard Benjamin, who I guess most people know is the weenie guy from the original Westworld movie. And he, he does a, it's a great job. Like, I, I kind of wish he directed more stuff like this. And it bums me out, though, because I feel like it's a little more obscure than it should be. Anytime someone is like, oh, yeah, I love that movie. It's like, I'm so happy because it should be way more popular. It is so, so much fun so fast moving and yeah i don't know a single person who saw it and was like uh that sucked i love whoever programs turner classic movies they run it pretty often and that makes me happy too and it might be the cornerstone of my relationship with my parents like we all love this movie so much that we end up just quoting it all the time and possibly rewatching it everyone in it is just on fire playing to the rafters so much fun so my favorite year absolutely look it up semi-forgotten comedy there was a broadway musical that they attempted seems like I saw some clips and the songs weren't great, but it was Tim Curry playing the, the drunk star. And God damn, that would have been good. Anyway, yeah, my favorite year from 1982, 40th anniversary. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Holy 
Lord, coming in with a song everybody heard, unavoidable, Gangnam Style by Psy. It's number two on the charts this week. It's also the 10th most viewed YouTube video of all time with 4.5 billion views. That was a phenomenon that was just so fun, man. Psy, <laughs> how fun was that? So, so strange. Yeah, like, but he's like, like kind of an elderly pop star, not singing in English, and all of a sudden this is coming out of like regular radio. This was everywhere, it, and everybody seemed to enjoy it as a cultural touchstone. I like Psy. There, I said it. Yeah. I, I feel like it is one of those, like, the internet is leaking into real world yeah. things. Where it's like, yeah, people just like the video. I thought it was really funny. Yeah. Kind of sketchy. Like, but, Psy, yeah, Psy broke through into the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Welcome to 2012, October 7th to the 13th. Other new music, lesser new music releases include... Alleluia, Don't Bend, Ascend by Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Glass Heart by Leona Lewis. 211 by Brandy. Glad All Over by The Wallflowers. The Heist, the debut of Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Monster by Kiss. Uh, All the Love We Leave Behind by Converge. Don't Panic by All Time Low is also out. And One More Night by Maroon 5 is still number one. Oh, fucking body of work is so fucking awesome oh i love your fucking body of work maroon five i would it's... love them to cover gungam style <laughs> okay gonna need some help with this one because uh, i'm reading this cold 2012 news from 10 years ago women's rights and education activist malala uh yosafsi 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 is shot three times by a taliban gunman as she tried to board her school bus in uh swat in the swat district of northwest pakistan Mm-hmm. She's all of fifteen. Yeah, yeah. And they took a hit out on her and yep. killed some other kids because yep. they're girls who want to go to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if the Taliban's going to put a statue to the guy who shot her because the Taliban is still very much against women's education. And there's protest in Kabul about it, and they've been shooting at women, uh, no deaths, but they beat up a whole bunch of them. So mm-hmm. that guy's won that one. Mm. Yep. And I love the timing on this because give her two years and mm-hmm. she's going to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. She is not killed. She comes back from this and she comes back hard. Mm-hmm. And it, damn it, so it, ugh, I hate that it's so inspirational because none of this should have happened to her. She should just be a fucking kid. Yeah. And, and, and don't, don't you want to take a second to, pause and think about your ideology when you decide this kid's putting way too much pressure on our ideals <laughs> like just what i see people attacking what's that girl's name the global warming kid from mm-hmm. like you don't have anything better to do than this like you, you can't you don't see yourself as the evil one here this is a kid huh mm-hmm. interesting uh, hard pivot into the european union which wins the 2012 nobel peace prize sparking a series of critical commentary that's a pretty big recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, on one hand, it's a giant bureaucratic organization. On the other hand, in 1942, all of Europe was trying to kill the rest of all of Europe. Mm. So... Uh, There's a lot to be said against the European Union, but it's also been an incredible instrument for peace and prosperity at the same time. So I can see why they got this. Yeah, it's I mean, how many people in the European Union were part of the committee that got to help (laughs) vote for it? You know, but yeah, on the other hand, uh, I saw a thing a little while ago pointing out in all of recorded history, there has never been a period like the one we're living in now where no troops are crossing the Rhine in either direction. Mm. This is the longest France and Germany have 
ever gone oh, yeah. without trying to kill each other yeah. ever wow and it's all of what, 70 years Woo! yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it, it, the thing is an eu member declaring war on a another eu member is literally unthinkable there's no way that's going to happen there's no way you can even imagine that happening so mm. cheers to that yo yeah yeah also in 2012 the eurozone was under a lot of pressure as we've talked about the financial crisis was going on so this was probably a bit of a hey don't fall apart (laughs) (laughs) we still got some life left in this we won the nobel peace prize Uh, yeah you definitely want to stay with the eu because everything's (laughs) great the pound versus the dollar right now I don't know. I just want to point it out. Yeah, the pound hit the lowest it's ever been against the dollar since the dollar was invented. Mm. It is so affordable for Americans to go to Britain right now that they are having like scary pieces in British newspapers about how, oh God, the Americans are coming because we've lost 50% of our value and they're all going to come here and spend all their money. Uh, oh no, ooh. a bunch of Americans. Usually the, or the pound's about a buck 60, and right now it's about one to one. It's like a buck 10. It's. Know ridiculous doesn't conserve me i don't have either of them <laughs> moving yeah. it every episode it's got to be revealed that i'm the dumbest one on the panel you guys all all know everything about the news section i'm like oh. but the movies i can tell you are all kind of wonderful yeah uh, this week it's uh, it's good pack man you could, you could pick any one of these and have a pretty decent time taken two is still number one at the box office but we got some new movies including by one of my favorite Newer filmmakers, uh, Martin McDonough. Oh my God, he put this name in here on purpose. Zelzico. He's in here twice. Vanek, uh, uh, Tom Waits, Harry Dean Stanton, Linda Bright Clay, Woody Harrelson, Christopher Walken, Sam Rockwell, and Colin Farrell in Seven Psychopaths. Man, this may be the best movie about a be- bad movie other than Ed Wood. <laughs> Oh, you see, I wanted to throw out, I am a little bit bummed that we're not talking about this in adaptation in the same episode, because they're both kind of the same thing of, I am watching a movie about them writing the movie that I am watching. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's funny. It's engaging. The characters are people you want to hear talk. Yeah. This was thoroughly enjoyable for me. It's so, so damn funny. So the plot is Colin Farrell is a screenwriter with writer's block. He is trying to write. His buddy Sam Rockwell keeps trying to like help him and inspire him while he's also helping Christopher Walken raise money by kidnapping dogs and then claiming the reward. <laughs> they kidnap uh, Woody Harrelson's dog, who is a mobster who loves his dog very, very much. And now he wants to murder everybody. Ooh, reverse John Wick. Yep. <laughs> oh, Bonnie, the dog is so cute, though. I understand it. She's a little sweetheart. And so, I mean, some of the psychopaths, they, they list out the different psychopaths. Some of them are in this story, and some of them are in the story that Colin Farrell is writing. Mm-hmm. So... That's a little weird. Turns out there may or may not be seven of them. Again, I'm kind of glad we're talking about this at the same time as Reservoir Dogs because there's only so much you can get out of mobsters and crossing the mob and hitmen and whatever. And this goes in such different directions than anything that we're used to seeing with that. Having a conversation with Reservoir Dogs. I feel like this film is talking about Mm. not just Reservoir Dogs, but all the films inspired by Reservoir Dogs and all the people like the screenwriters in my screenwriting class Mm. who were like, I'm going to write a screenplay about that because that's who this character is. This character is the dudes from my screenplay class when I was 15 who were like, I've seen three movies and... (laughs) 
That's all I need to write a screenplay. <laughs> How do yeah. I combine Reservoir Dogs with Jurassic Park? That's what I'm here to find yeah. out. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like his idea, all he has is the title, Seven Psychopaths. And yeah. then he wants to write about them, but he can't even like think up good psychopaths. He has to go no. try to find real ones. <laughs> he steals the true story of one of the psychopaths. And then he ends up pitching the story of the psychopath to the actual real life psychopath <laughs> in a glorious scene there's oh, tons yeah. of scenes like that my favorite moment was when he was talking about how you know i i think i'm going to go a different way i want this to be a a pacifist film i want this <laughs> seven psychopaths film to be about how violence isn't the solution and all my characters in the middle are going to go out into the desert and really talk about their feelings and there's not going to be any <laughs> gunfight and then his characters in this film go to the desert and talk about their feelings and for a moment i'm like <laughs> so there's not going to be a gunfight then oh no but they drove past that cool rock formation like that'd be a really good place for a final gunfight mm -hmm. anyway let's talk about our feelings yeah <laughs> Yeah, and there's constantly like there's at least one character. I feel I don't want to spoil who. There's at least one character who seems to know they're in a movie and is doing things because they're in a movie. But is that quote unquote real <laughs> or they literally know? Yeah, everyone. I mean, I love that you can see Martin McDonough works with a lot of the same people over and mm -hmm. over. And here we got Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson, who are both in Three Billboards uh, outside Ebbing, Missouri. Later, Colin Farrell. I'm I'm really jazzed to see his new movie. Oh, dude, it looks so fun. It looks so good with uh, Colin Farrell and Brennan Gleeson oh, back. It's got a, it's got a disgustingly Irish title. That it, what is it called? Yeah. And, and, yeah, this was, I mean, fair, fair amount of blood, fair amount of gore. <laughs> A lot of dead people um, often just played for laughs of just like, well, I shot her in the stomach. Well, that's terrible. <laughs> what? It's shooting her in the head is better. No, it's not. No. I think my favorite line by far. And if it weren't for Loretta Lynn passing, I, this would have been how I opened the show of no, in the movies. You can't kill animals, just women. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, there's a God. scene where one of the characters is telling him your female characters are trash. They uh, can't say anything clever and they only exist to be killed and that's one of those moments where okay movie you're acknowledging a flaw of yourself because that's true for all the female characters in this film but then you show a scene where the very buxom girlfriend is running in the rain wearing <laughs> only a white t-shirt no bra and then gets violently killed in front of us yeah okay movie uh-huh. Yeah, there's a certain amount of having the cake and eating it, too. But nice understated performance from Christopher Walken. Like, he's the guy who shows up and he, you know, looks crazy like Christopher Walken and you, like, immediately laugh and they go, oh, well, he's clearly one of the psychopaths. He's going to do a bunch of crazy Christopher Walken shit. And he's, like, like the nicest guy. <laughs> he's a good person, even though he does some bad things. Like, he's, he's kind of the moral center. <laughs> of all his craziness there's a really strong performance from him and yeah sam rockwell just no one plays stupid quite like him i love stupid sam rockwell uh. <laughs> it's so much fun yeah seven psychopaths was a big big recommend for me it's so much fun yeah yeah it's, it was and i saw it after three billboards so i somehow missed it when it came out so encourage other people to track it down also out this week uh kate walsh ezra miller paul rudd dylan mcdermott johnny simmons nina dobrev uh may whitman logan lerman and emma watson in the perks of being a wallflower all right, I'm going to tie this in. I feel like everything gets tied into Reservoir Dogs this week. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate a, a guy writes, he's got an idea for a book, 
kind of based on his own experience. He writes a book. It becomes, you know, a bit of a hit for, you know, young adult audiences. And he's like, Hollywood comes calling. And he's like, I will write and direct this. Yeah. And that's the only way you're going to get it. <laughs> and it's kind of the same with Reservoir Dogs. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll just buy your script. And he's like, nope. No. I will. I have to write and direct this. And it fucking paid off. Yeah, like, this is a really sweet movie about... Yeah, the again the kids of today and their problems handled with handled with like real sympathy and yeah. depth. Yeah, and I was kind of stunned. I was really impressed. This is a very rare film about teenagers that feels real to me. You know, mm. I feel like these are real teenagers going through real things. The primary viewpoint character has a lot of emotional problems that the film explores in a pretty mature way. But all the people around him are just teenagers being teenagers. Mm. And it's honest. It's funny at times, but it's also very moving at times. Yeah, I was surprised because Logan Lerman is I just haven't really liked him in a lot of stuff. He just doesn't. And he, he did such a good job in this comparatively. And I mean, Emma Watson was the one everyone talked up of like, this is her first big thing after all the Harry Potter stuff. Mm -hmm. And she seems to have like retired and was like, I'm kind of bummed. Did she keep kind of keep doing stuff? Yeah. Help use your cred to kind of boost these smaller things like this, because, yeah, this, uh, you know, as a teenage weirdo w with depression, it was like, well, this rang really true to me in a lot of parts. <laughs> but also it was like, yeah, kind of sweet. And the, teen they, the teenagers definitely feel real in the way that they, their emotions are just sort of ping-ponging all over the place and they're trying to get a handle on things and trying to, you know, connect with other people. I was impressed. Yeah, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yeah, it's one of I, our I uh, more. critically well-reviewed movies of this week actually yeah. yeah but i was sort of like well that looks like it's for kids or it looks like it's for teenagers I mean, now it, and it's like of, oh no i got shit is. out of it it was it sort yeah, of is no, but it's like it's something i wish i had when i was a kid yeah but I, even as a, a grown-ass person without kids like no it it it, it moved me and uh yeah, i liked it a lot again this uh, interesting movies all around this week mm. i this I, is the disappointment of the bunch. I'm sorry. I, well, this is, I was just shocked that this had any decent reviews <laughs> because uh, this is out of the House of Sandler starring Kevin James. And and look at that. Bropra, Joe Rogan, Henry Winkler, Selma Hayek. And, well, it's about MMA. You got to yes, do it. Yes. And Kevin James. You have to have someone yell, he's hurt, because otherwise you wouldn't <laughs> know it was a fight. Here comes the boom starring Kevin James. Scott Voss isn't your average teacher. All right, everybody, let's get our story straight. Uh, Derek did it. But when his school was out of money, he's willing to try anything. I saw this fight, and a guy got 10 grand. Suit up. Throw down. And get ready for... That go in? Here comes the boom. Here comes the boom. Terrible title. I kind of like it. All right, all yeah. right. Uh, but yeah, like a comedy sports film about MMA with seemingly the cooperation of... UFC. Yeah, I was shocked right. that anybody liked this. Like, uh, it was you, but Diana did not. Well, I liked it more than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. I do like the idea that it's it's not like oh, I could train and and become MMA and you know get money for the kids because that's all he's doing is he's trying to raise money for the school that he teaches at. But no, just the idea of like if I just get in the ring and get my ass beat, yes, I can just get money from that. It's yeah, and you know it's gonna rocky by the end of the movie, or like he's gonna dig deep and yeah, 
have the eye of the tiger and he's going to have to try to win. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, that was, it was a cuter idea, but a Simpsons did it. And B <laughs> there just weren't that many good jokes, man. No, that's just my big problem was like, you, it just, it wasn't very funny. And and I, I still, I, Kevin James is funny, but there's still mm-hmm. something about him that seems like he's always the non SNL cast member in those ensemble Sandler films because he's like an alternate reality Chris Farley and something about him I cannot accept. <laughs> it should have been a Chris Farley movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. No, just, uh, just yeah. I, I was expecting it to really be stupid and it was, it was less stupid than I thought. I just didn't. Not enough jokes, man. Not enough good jokes landing. Snow Sorry. Paul Blart, Diana's favorite. Um, Obviously. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then a, a horror movie I was meaning to check out. Man, I can't wait to, to talk about this a little more. Vincent Onofrio, Fred Thompson, uh, Juliet Rylance, and Ethan Hawke in Sinister. Within the home movies of five murdered families <laughs> lives a terror. Who are you? No one can escape. I'm just worried about you. Something was in the house. A deity named Bagul actually lived in the images themselves. Ah! What is happening? Oh my god! Sinister. Sinister. This is so freaking unsettling. This is one (laughs) of the most unsettling horror films I've seen maybe ever. It's up there in the discussion. Do you think that is because you are a parent? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly why I think this. So this this starts, the very first image you see when watching this film is four people, including some who are obviously kids, with ropes around their neck, standing on the ground. Their ropes are swung over a tree branch, and then another t- tree branch is att- attached to it. That tree branch is cut so that the people are lifted off the ground and all hung at the exact same time. Mm. And it is unsettling to say the least. And then there's more, there's Mm -hmm. multiple ones like that. And they all have these nice, cheerful names on the front. It's like family barbecue. Mm -hmm. And then you see home footage of people having a nice family barbecue and then all of the family burning to death. We're being run over by a lawnmower. (laughs) Oh, oh, the lawnmower one is just horrible because it's a POV shot of a lawnmower running. Okay, grass, 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 human face. What the fuck? Yeah. 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 I didn't even want to watch this and I didn't because I am such a fucking wuss, but I know it by reputation as being one of the scariest movies we've seen in a while. And I didn't realize, oh, it's directed by Scott Derrickson, who besides doing Doctor Strange for some reason, just did Black Phone, which is supposed to be really good. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about, because like when I I was growing up, Ethan Hawke was basically like a movie star, but of mostly movies I did not want to see or Mm -hmm. did not like. If you'd ask me my favorite Ethan Hawke movies, it's When He Goes to Space, Explorers, and Gattaca. (laughs) But... If you haven't been watching him these days, he's been taking some really fun roles. If you didn't see him in a, um, what was that Marvel show? Jesus, how did I lose that already? Moon, Moon Knight. If you didn't see him in a, The Good Lord Bird, just an insane performance. And I, I've i had dreams about Ethan Hawke for some reason. That I, I meet him <laughs> and talk to him about like, dude, what the fuck is going on with you? You're making some really cool choices. But then like when I go back and, he's in all these horror movies over the last decade. He's kind of been making his money in, in horror in stuff like he's, he's in the first purge. He's in the first sinister. He's in the black phone. And, and just like, 
it's such a weird career turn and I just like man I like this guy so much and he's part of the reason the movie rules just his like a mental decay on on, on screen and ev- everything I think he's going to do he kind of plays it lighter or heavier than I expect him to and I think he's a huge part of why this film is so unsettling because his breakdown mm. and the realization he's looking for as an author trying to tie all these murders together it was more interesting than I thought and I really dug it and I'm glad I finally got around to seeing it because it, it was it was written by um one of my f- favorite writers from like the ain't it cool news era it's like one of the only like internet film critics to become a major motion picture screenwriter if you like scary movies this is a huge recommend for me really impressive how creepy they get it there's not much gore but everything is just so unsettling it's that a, it, it, it's, it hits you it's fucking dark and shadowy yeah. and i'm still like shocked it's like oh shit vincent d'onofrio's in this and like barely it's like <laughs> he's in a zoom call like that <laughs> and like it looks like it's gonna be this great character that was the only thing like i wanted more from it's Nafrio. but yeah everything else about this i thought was super cool so mild spoiler i love how they made the thing you want him to do for the entire movie be the thing that dooms him and his family that was such a good plot device i really enjoyed that yeah and there's a fucking sequel out there with the cop Uh, (laughs) that i've never seen yeah it's it's like semi-recent but yeah i uh streaming on peacock i had a great time with this film i I recommend sinister um yeah that's one it's like uh i know there's gonna be a whole bunch of jump scares like no actually not well come now disturbing there's a few but i wouldn't say a whole bunch there's a lot of jump scares accompanying accompanied by screams that don't exist diegetically yeah. it does that quite it, that's that's some of the only yeah. criticisms i see that the movie has that it, it, it's mm. jump scares are a little cheap um, yeah that's but, the thing it's like i hate jump scares and I, I i hate them personally and i hate them as a film fan you you got to use them well and a lot of times they use them cheaply you know like or or you can use them for fun like scream does it does them very intentionally at the dumbest times possible but yeah now i know sinister very much by reputation. Everyone I know who's a horror fan says like, yeah. And kind of like what you're saying, Chris, it's like Ethan Hawke does these horror films and he freaking commits. Yeah, like, dude. He is treating this very seriously. He, I thought he used to be like kind of a lazy movie star and kind of love like starring in adaptations of his favorite books. But like, dude, Ethan Hawke fucking rules. Like, <laughs> like almost everything he's in his entire career is pretty amazing. And I just, now I'm just, anything he's in, I'm just going to see. I, this is my favorite piece of trivia. Some organization, Broadband Choices, studied the heart rates of people when they rise and fall during this film. And according to science, as of two years ago, this is the scariest film ever made. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. I, I, I won't go there with it, but just perfectly unsettling. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't get scared by horror movies mm-hmm. almost ever. But after watching this, I was just like, I hope I don't have nightmares yeah. now. <laughs> like, I was genuinely concerned after watching this that I was going to wake up screaming in the middle of the night. Damn. Yes. Yeah. That's it... what scary Super 8 home movies can do. Actually shot on Super 8 film. I love that they went there and didn't just go with some shitty filter. Getting Giving a cinematographer a real Super 8 camera and filming <laughs> spoopy scenes is a cool idea. The whole idea of the movie is what, that he's found these spoopy home movies. Snuff films. Essentially. Oh, found... Home okay. movies that are also snuff films. And he's trying oh. to figure out who did it. That spanned decades. It spans decades. Oh. And so many creepy scenes. The creepiest for me was the pool. Yeah. That where was awful. people are tied to, Chaise you know, lounges. deck chairs. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then pulled into the pool. Ew. Yeah, you can see their feet sticking out. That's too spooky. Yeah, no, it's but pretty... I, I think it's a it's a good recommend, definitely on the spooky side. I don't know if the next movie was the biggest movie of the week, but it would become the biggest movie of the following year at the Oscars. Look at this cast, baby. Richard Kind. I can't do a good impression. Bob Gunton. Uh, tight, tight. You son of a bitch. Titans Well, Welliver. Seljiko Avenik again. Chris uh, Messina. <laughs> Kyle Chandler. Rory Cochran. Carrie Bish. Scoot McNary. Great name. Christopher Denham, Clea Duvall, Tate Donovan, Victor Garber, Brian Cranston, Alan Arkin, John Goodman, and Ben Affleck also directing. Oh, it is Argo. Our embassy has been seized. Six of the hostages got out. I need you to help me make a fake movie. You need a script. You need a producer. I fly into Tehran. We all fly out together as a film crew. Right. You have 72 hours to get them out. This is what I do, and I've never left anyone behind. I know who they are. It's over, Tom. Let's go make a movie. Argo. Yes, Argo. Argo. Great film. Argo. Argo. Damn, this is fun. Yeah, I. Love how many ads I saw that said from the director of the town <laughs> and didn't remind you who that is because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because this, I mean, this is if I were writing the Ben Affleck movie, mm-hmm. I'd be pretty tempted to end it here, except no, <laughs> bitch, he is not having that three act structure in his life. It's at least five acts, god damn it. Yeah, <laughs> continually weird. If, yeah, because yeah, this is like the, the full on comeback. He makes a critically acclaimed movie that does very well at the box office. He doesn't get nominated for best director and some of the other people who do complain about it. <laughs> and then he wins best picture off this thing of the, the thing that he's starring and directing in that is so, I mean, it's a thriller, but it is fun as hell. Right. It's so one of my favorite sub, sub, sub genres of movies are about making a movie. I don't think many people have made a movie, a movie about making a movie, but you're making a movie to solve a crime, basically, yeah. <laughs> or like or like do something heroic. So it's like it has all those details of an Ed Wood or something like that, but the goal is to rescue hostages in Iran, <laughs> described as a film crew, but they still have to go through all the steps of like making this, got to make the poster, got to set up this production team, yeah. get that script this, ready. That's one of... One of the places it's kind of a bummer. They do fudge a lot of truth sure. in this. Yeah, you you have to accept that, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, and... compare how much truth they fudged in this film with how much truth they fudged in 1492. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, in this case... Um, the CIA was kind of not taking the lead on this. This makes it look like the CIA does everything. Really, is the Canadians fucking yep. mm-hmm. stepped up and, and got our folks home. The I think the Brits helped and the Kiwis helped a bunch too, and they're not really mentioned or not mentioned well. And also that they didn't make up this movie whole cloth. That they already had a script for a movie called Lord of Light that was supposed to be based on a book, which already had production design stuff or. Uh, things done by um jack kirby oh wow so they, they, <laughs> yeah so they had they had concept art by jack fucking kirby comic legend already and they just kind of grabbed all these things and put them all together to pretend like oh no we're scouting locations for stuff we have all these things and so yeah all that stuff was fun alan arkin just coming in him and john goodman both you know bringing so much levity to everything of just being He's taking the movie seriously, yeah. even though it's not 
real. <laughs> and and by the way, I I never get tired of saying this, but maybe I know Diana's heard it too many times, but uh, Jr. maybe hasn't. John Goodman is playing, I think, one of the most fascinating behind the scenes yes. movie people of all time. Creator of Spock's ears, Planet of the Apes, won that Oscar for the Planet of the Apes makeup, and very much worked in his life with the government to use his movie trickery and special effects to do stuff with the CIA and FBI. The movie FX is kind of based around him where the FBI has to make a witness look murdered so the gangsters don't continue to come after him before he can testify. And by all account, and I just had to talk about it recently, my favorite theory about Bigfoot is that he is Bigfoot. That is him in... (laughs) Oh, that's him in the... Yes, that he he was trying to create a more realistic stomach because it wasn't something he could really do. Took a Lost in Space costume, went and filmed it in the woods. The whole single-handedly create that's him in the Bigfoot suit. The stories have been told, retold, and then denied by the people who told them in the special effects community. But it's allegedly a secret amongst the special effects community that he is Bigfoot. (laughs) <laughs> that you see in that famous footage. That's hilarious. And by the what? way, they, if you haven't seen that footage, they like brought it HD and like smoothed it out. Guy in a suit. There's like it's a guy in a there's suit. A, yeah. It's yeah. a fucking guy in a of suit. Of course. <laughs> uh, but this is a really tight, well done film. Yeah. And you can see it in the little things. Like Jack Kirby is in this film. Yes. But mm-hmm. it's an incredibly small role. They don't really do a whole lot of winking and nudging on it. They have him do exactly what his character needs to do, and then the film moves on. I could see a lesser filmmaker who would just be like, well, obviously we got to make a bunch of comic book jokes right now because yeah. comic books are all hot. Yes. But right. no. They just have him do what he needs for the plot and they move on. Yeah. And that's that's some of the fudging right there of like they didn't bring him in. He'd already done it and they just took his stuff. And uh, there were some complaints about like, how come Ben Affleck's playing a Latino guy? And then <laughs> Tony Mendez, the guy directing. he's playing, basically said, I don't think of myself as Latino. <laughs> I'm wow. like, oh, well, that ruined it. As opposed to Clay Duvall. Clay Duvall uh, is playing someone who's based on someone who's Japanese-American, which that would have... that honestly adds to it so much because she'll stand out even more in Iran Mm -hmm. as could she be an American? Could she pretend that she's from China? I don't speak English or Farsi. Leave me alone. Yeah. It's that I love that there was the focus on uh, race and casting and and they missed the one. It's like, actually you could have added to this, Mm. but yeah, it's, I, I I love process thrillers where we see all the process and, you know, the, the ticking clock that we have is very clever in that it's like they've just taken this embassy and there's a lot of shredded documents and they're going to start putting them back together. And how long is that going to take them? We don't know, but we yeah. got to move now. Mm. Yeah. Argo really held up on a rewatch. I, yeah. I was one of the especially best picture winners is sort of like, well, maybe it was the time. I don't know. And then like, no, that's a solid ass movie. Yeah, I didn't I didn't feel that way either until the second time I watched it, because like, I guess this is just Hollywood loves movies about itself and is just about counts. But no, it's it's an efficient film, like all the way through, man. It's it's totally worth rewatching. And if you haven't seen it, do so. It's fucking cool. Yeah. And yeah, no, there was no car chase at the end, but I think. But it's a movie. Yeah. I think the quote I saw from Ben Affleck was like, it says based on a true story, not (laughs) a true story. (laughs) That is a great quote. And I'm going to remember that for later. Um, Oh, wait. But yes, it's it probably should say it goes on to win all the Oscars. A lot. A lot. A lot. Gets on. Most critics top 10 on a $44 million budget makes like $300 million. So it's yeah. a commercial and critical 
just an outstanding success. Apparently it became something of an underground success in Iran too. Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. Like some people they criticize, like Iranians are made to look like kind of an undifferentiated mass of crazy people, but like it's because you're only seeing the revolutionaries, but like regular old Iranians were sort of like, yeah, no, some of the people in that revolution were nuts. Some of them I agree with. Some of them are just jerks. So yeah, I, I like we're seeing both sides, I guess. Also, shout out to the women of Iran. Topple the government. Good luck. What percentage of protests and tyrannies end in anything good, though? Oh, boy. <sighs> JR with his historical levity. I'm... Oh. True. But yeah, I... but they're, they're keeping it going, man. I really yeah. thought like, no, I, they, my they would heart get crushed is with them. Uh, they are behaving incredibly bravely. And yeah, Ow. good luck to them. I just don't know that the track record says that this will probably result in a good thing and yep. might make things worse. Yeah, he said that about the Arab Spring 11 years ago. And it, a lot of that did work out. And a lot, a lot of it didn't. Anyway, let's I'm talk a, about TV. I'm going to say this. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about TV. Let's talk about TV. And by that, I mean, one of the hard things about this job is when you get a TV show with like a billion episodes that you haven't seen a single frame of. This section is all that for me. Notable shows I know are notable, but I can't really tell you why, and I'm not really going to put a ton of research into it. I forget what I was watching. It's so October 7th through the 13th. I don't remember what I was watching. I think it was an advertisement for some CBS streaming service that there are three Chicago shows. Mm-hmm. Chicago Fire debuts on NBC, going 11 seasons. I think still going. Going. And it has like Chicago PD and Chicago Hospital, all the same universe. 217 episodes currently. Holy crap. What are we supposed to do, 302010 listeners? We can't go and watch even the 10 best Chicago Fire episodes. (laughs) Nor do I have any inclination to. Yeah, the problem is I was just off network TV in 2012. Other than... The Office, Parks and Rec, and... And, and uh, remember, that's, this is why I knew this would get complicated. This is when the streaming era begins, so mm-hmm. people like us, and I guess, I'm guessing a lot of people listening, were at the very, at the at best, a year behind in the most notable shows, because we were waiting for DVD or streaming, and, mm-hmm. uh, and or we were watching streaming exclusively. The One of the best-reviewed shows I remember of this year, Nashville, debuts on ABC, goes six seasons, over 100 episodes. Don't... So my wife and I did actually watch, I think, about the first 13 episodes of this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't bad by any means. It's just it wasn't amazing enough to keep us watching. And even in 2012, our viewing time was so limited that if this is not an A show or even an A-minus show, then we're not going to watch it. And this never mm-hmm. felt like an A show to us. But it was maybe a B. I, I don't. Mm. I don't know when we talk about it, but like you know, I think what a lot of us have been conditioned to watch are, for lack of a better word, let's call it prestige TV. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. things with ten episodes, tight. One episode leads into another. The network formula is still like we need a scenario we can re- reset every single week, and we yeah. have to have people like these characters enough to want to spend twenty two hours a year with them. And that's just something I don't think any of our media diets engage with anymore well i don't have that free time and i didn't in 2012 i mean this is a good examination of a sassy sexy singer with a troubled past but that's not enough for me it's but it's got such a good cast it's got i did not realize it was created by kaylee Corey. 
Who wrote that on the Wii? No, I didn't either. Why didn't they put that out in front? I know <laughs> they put Connie Britton and Hayden Pantier out in front, and I like both of them a lot. No, they're both great actresses. <sighs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and dude, triple down on the, that sentiment. I am a massive comic book fan. And even at the time, I am a massive <laughs> Oliver Queen, Air, Green Arrow fan. Uh, Green And Arrow debuts this week, not only goes on to spawn eight seasons, it is oh, the forebearer of the DC television universe, which by any measurement seems far more successful than their efforts yep. in film. Yeah, <laughs> the Arrowverse. It is called the Arrowverse because right. this is what starts it. And at 1.6, six TV shows were on the air at the exact same time as part of the same interconnected universe. And that was all started by this show. Oh, my God, I did not know it was that many. It's it's it every time basically I, the CW and I network. didn't and I didn't know that they're like interconnected like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, they, oh they've had God. massive crossover events, including like you know cameos from other DC characters that Bert, from Burt Ward to Ezra Miller have mm-hmm. appeared on these shows, and it's just like I just think of like. Mickey doing fun magic tricks until the entire well overflows and there's too many brooms around. <laughs> That's what it was like me wishing for DC shows. Like I cannot watch this much of anything in a week. What do you do? Cause I watched this in the these flash are network TV shows. Yeah. Okay. Again, it's the same problem as Chicago fire and Nashville is you have to keep the status quo for longer than would make sense narratively because that's how you get this 22 episodes a year. Yeah. Mm, can good it, God. And, I don't think I'd even heard of Legends of Tomorrow, but it yeah. stars Victor Garber and Brandon Routh. What the fuck? Supergirl. But Arrow, I think, Bat is Woman, lasted, Black Lightning. Batwoman, Black Lightning. It's just, it's fucking staggering. And also the idea that I don't, I never had a way to like an over-the-air antenna to watch these anyway. So like, and, and if you didn't read that thing, that, that some company just bought the CW and they revealed like our average age of our average viewer is 50, over 50. It is not teenagers despite yeah. Riverdale and all of these young people-centered shows. It's very, whoa, what a strange so alternate universe it feels the like. The CW has never been profitable. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it has never made a profit. But this was one of its most successful series and they just milked it until even its fans were just like, this is too much. Okay, if you were to watch every show, every web series, every movie, that's ever crossed in with the Arrowverse, how long would it take you? Jesus. Um, oh, I'd say geez. a Smallville amount. It's complete But I'm Smallville saying every show that crossed over with it. Oh, so that includes oh. the 10 season of Smallville. <laughs> Shit. Oh, my God. Well, there's eight seasons just of Arrow, which I did not know. Yeah, it was around for a while. Wow. 46 days, 7 hours, and 51 minutes. <laughs> now it seems doable. <laughs> <laughs> 46 continuous days. Yeah. 46 days. Wow. It's, it really is like staggering. And I've watched some of Arrow and some of The Flash. I'm like, this is pretty good, but I cannot. It, pretty good in this uh, this quantity, I can't do. I just can't do. I just feel so weird and old saying that, but it just it just is. The Peacemaker is a D- Peacemaker was a DC show. Ten tight episodes, did a bunch of shit I didn't expect. It changed the status quo almost every episode. Neat. Sorry, moving on from that conversation. What's, what's Green Arrow's thing? He's a he's big, just 
billionaire yes. and he got trapped on an island and he only could practice with his bow and arrow. So he got really good at it. And when he came back, he decided to use his bow and arrow skills to rob from the rich and give to the poor. Oh, yeah. he looks okay. like he looked like Robin was, Hood initially. Yeah, I was wondered why he sort of looked like Robin Hood. That was kind of dorky. But oh, OK, gotcha. He's he's really he's really good at shooting things. Yeah, and they did it like redid his origin in the, somewhere in the two thousands in the six issues, and it was fucking great. Love you, Oliver. Beauty and the Beast is another show that goes on the CW and airs for four fucking seasons. Couldn't tell you word one about it. Uh, it's child friendly. It's a romance. It's the Beauty and the Beast story. But like the Linda Hamilton, Ron Perlman one, where the no, she's no. not so much kidnapped. Uh, so. Dr. Keller allegedly died in Afghanistan, but then it's shown that he actually suffers from a condition that causes rage to turn him into a monster, which has forced him from society. So Detective Catherine Chandler decides to help him keep his secret in exchange for help untangling the truth about her mother's murder. Uh, He's not always a beast. I don't know. He's a werewolf? I guess so. Yeah. Kind of like like he's a Hulk. I am proud of myself that I was able to bring up that much information. (laughs) I've never seen you sound so resigned. Like, I guess. I don't know. I'm not the CW guy here. CW had such an amazing week. Yeah. Not the uh, titular saying power is this Disney Channel show, which still makes me laugh every time I say it. Dog with a blog debuts on Disney Channel. I have never seen a show like, hey, those four words seem funny. You should write that. Um, (laughs) Dog with a blog. Sitcom family that finds out they have a talking dog with a blog he regularly updates. Oh, the shenanigans. Uh, Dog with a blog. Three seasons on the Disney Channel. Was this peak blog? Like, I feel like a year after this, Facebook and Twitter just destroyed blogging. And yeah. now it's all like, are you getting links on Twitter? Are you getting links on Facebook? No one just yeah. like subscribes to blogs the way they did in 2012. Right. I, I think no we're one. past peak blog. by okay. Well, yeah, yeah. That would be the Disney Channel being like, yeah. you know what was hot four years ago? Let's exactly. do that. Exactly. And yeah, dog with a blog. I don't think any of us saw it. Super Y also ends on PBS. This is a excellent children's program for very young kids. Okay. (laughs) It's teaching them early numbers and math and early reading. But once you grow past that, uh, there's no appeal. You would never rewatch this. <laughs> right. And then you had listed another show I've never seen, long running show I've never seen anything on Parenthood. The episode, there's you, something I need to tell you. I want to go to bat for Parenthood. Sure. I think Parenthood yeah. is a fantastic television show. Granted, I watched it when I first became a parent. So there were all sorts of emotions going on because I was watching it in real time. It captures the experience of family really well. This is the episode where the mother of the Braverman clan tells everyone about her cancer diagnosis. And it is gut-wrenching. It handles it very real, very somberly. It's not a lot of melodramata. Everyone reacts how you expect them to react, and it's done very well. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Still, not enough to get me to watch Parenthood. Uh, (laughs) As I was playing most of these games that came out in the week of October 7th through the 13th, uh, Pokemon Black 2 uh, and White 2 are out on Nintendo DS. 
the week. best Pokemon game is either the most recent one or the one you played when you were 12. There you go. There's no in between. <laughs> I'm not even, I actually am not sure I played this at all. But I did play Dishonored, which I think is one of the cooler, newer IPs of that late generation. Uh, really, really wonderfully styled game, Dishonored. It's out on uh, PC and PS360. And holy shit, Retro City Rampage, pretty neat. Like a, a kind of a River City Ransom throwback with a bunch tinted with a bunch of 80s nostalgia. Play that kind of anywhere now. And uh, XCOM Enemy Unknown. That was kind of nuts. This is a very good game. I think they made a mistake by not time traveling to the future and copying Mario versus Rabbids. Because <laughs> in that game, you have a zero chance to hit, a 50% to hit, or a 100 chance to hit. This one gives you percentages. So if you half the time you miss your 50% shot, you're going to accept that. But if you have like a 75% chance to hit and one out of four times you miss, you are going to be pissed at the game. <laughs> so for psychological reasons, I, I think the Mario game actually covers it better. I think the other little miracle about this, the, the XCOM series was being re resurrected after a long dormant period being a mostly PC mainstay and they kind of tried to play up it's the first person shooter this is the one everyone's going to love and then Firaxis went back to I don't know the, the tactical roots with this one and this won everybody over a simple approach to a classic gameplay style and I was astounded by how many game of the year awards it got and I, I'm one of the few people I know who has not played it and loved it almost everybody I know has same can't be said for Michael Phelps push the limit on Xbox 360 because <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, this is a Kinect game, and I don't even want to imagine a swimming Kinect game. Where Yeah, <laughs> there's a hilarious game. There's a hilarious episode of Clueless Gamer with Conan O'Brien mm -hmm. where he tries to play this, and it yes. looks god-awful. The whole Kinect was one of the biggest mistakes in gaming I can think of. Yeah, it was just shoehorned in far too much. If it was any other company than Microsoft, it would have ruined the entire business. But yeah. they could sustain that kind of blow. It is just like it is a catastrophic video game failure. I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about it some other time. And I just Spy Hunter on 3DS and PS Vita. I don't know what this is. Is this the? It's a 3D attempt at the Spy Hunter game, and mm. it's a shame because. That, they really just need to remake it in 2D. I, I don't know why. I that, don't that 3D think... one of the PlayStation 2 era is got me back into it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Because well, remember at the time this is this was good. this was like a hot video game franchise in two different very separated generations. There either is was a movie that was supposed to have the rock in it. Or one that was shot and never shown for mm. Spy Hunter. But like it was very popular, very big selling game. And it just keeps falling off the radar every single time. Spy Hunter, uh, but it's out now on 3DS and uh, PS Vita. Haven't said those words in a while. And we're going to tell you who died and who lived during the, who was born. Have a fun quiz about who was born uh, during this episode. Diana is on a streak that I must stop. But I also got to tell you, thanks to our patrons, patreon.com slash laser time. Look forward to a lot of bonus episodes hitting you this week and more to come. 
as I think we want to do at least a couple more 80s in-depth movie-based episodes, right? Yeah. Maybe for the Classic Corner episode, this yeah. episode. Oh, yeah. Both both the co-hosts were talking about it and how much they liked it. And just that they had even what? seen it made me so happy. I, I want to say that, but I have not yet. I have not. Anyway, that's a spoiler. Thank you so much. Give us five bucks. Help out VGA. Help out. Uh, anyway, you guys have been great. Thanks to all our patrons out there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend about the show. Di, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenerNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, we got a bunch more horror. We're going to have even more paranormal activity. Uh We're going to say someone's name three times in a mirror. (sighs) Bad mistake. Mm-hmm. bad mistake and it turns out sinister the initial idea of like a whole family hanging Kate was in a dream that the writer had after he saw the movie that we were going to talk about for ah, 2002 yes. spoiler alert vhs's will fucking kill you and yeah. it's probably good we don't have them anymore yeah uh, we're also going to talk about one of the biggest gaming disasters sega ever did and that's saying Ooh. a lot <laughs> and then maybe some chucky stuff on the patreon right yes you know, come together yeah return to elm yeah. street nightmare anyway well jr where can people find you at bud they can find me on the twitter at jrra LLS. Sweet. And with that, let's tell you let's let's tell you who died during this period of uh 302010. Oof. Well, <sighs> in 2002, we well, I hate to say we lost. We killed Eileen Wornos, <laughs> who was 46. She was executed by lethal injection. Uh one of the few female serial killers who killed with violence. Yeah. There are hmm. not a lot of female serial killers, and when they are, they tend Poisoners. to not sh- shoot guys. Yeah, Poison. they tend to poison Mm -hmm. and they tend a lot of times they're you know angels of mercy they they like to kill people who are already incapacitated and they think they're doing them a favor and they're not and uh yeah or they do it for money eileen wernos she did it for her own reasons and then uh we also lost in 2002 band of brothers author stephen e ambrose only 66 so he was one of the first history lectures i saw in college he came to our school gave a great presentation and he was talking about his book about the Lewis and Clark story and someone raised their hand and asked, so what happened to the dog? And he threw up his hands and said, you know, if this was a movie, I would always end with the dog happy and smiling with Lewis and Clark. But as this is history, I can tell you, no one mentions the dog after the midway point of the journey. So I don't know what happened to the dog, no one knows what will happen to the dog. No one will ever know what will happen to that dog. He's he's still alive. He's running a surfboard rental shack in Costa Rica. Uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, he's very, very happy. He's a very happy dog. And then in 2012 is when we lost Alex Karras, who's 77. He might be the most successful football player turned actor. He was the guy on Webster. Okay. And he's in a bunch of other movies. Uh, Victor Victoria, I really love him. But most importantly... Mongo only pawn in Game <laughs> of Life. Uh, that's a Richard All Pryor. Right. Well, um, that was who died. Let's get to the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly do, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do. Born on October 9th, 1954, in St. Louis, Missouri. His family surnames come from Czech and Bohemian ancestry. His name literally means stick. (laughs) He appeared on the March 1995 issue of Playgirl, something that was not common 
to actors at the time. Bob Glue. No, no, not that kind of stick. He decided to make a career of acting in 1976 when he moved to New York City. Made his Broadway debut playing baseball legend Joe DiMaggio in 1983's Marilyn, an American Fable. Bobby Ooh. Carnival. Sorry, I was just no. watched Blonde. Uh, <laughs> he was cast in two short-lived TV series, Gung Ho in 1986 and Eisner and Lutz in 1988. Oh, I remember that there was a short-lived gung-ho t- TV show. Based on the Michael and Keaton I... movie? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, hmm. I'm going to skip over his starring role that would instantly give it away. Mm-hmm. He played Mr. Smith in a season of Mr. and Mrs. Smith in 1996. What? He voiced Danny Cat in the film Cats Don't Dance. Oh, shit. He played Scott Eight... Yes, it is what? Scott Bakula. And wow. of course, he played Sam in Quantum Leap. He was in Necessary Roughness. He was Captain Jonathan Archer in the Star Trek Enterprise TV show. And in April of 2009, he began a recurring role on the television series Chuck as the long-lost father. He never had a television show make it to over 100 episodes. Wow. Until recently, comparatively, when he was cast in NCIS oh, New wow. Orleans, Cheating. which nice. ran for seven seasons, making it more successful than the roles you and I know him for. Yes. Oh, and Quantum Leap just got rebooted. Yeah. yeah. And I haven't, haven't read any reviews yet. But, uh, same. I was a huge Quantum Leap fan. I yeah, was I love that uh, show. watching it religiously at the time. Uh, we'll be talking about its end this year, actually. Really? Oh, that's such a bummer. Yeah. They misspell the character's name on the show. <laughs> so unfair. Wow. Okay. That was the weirdest deep pull I've ever had. I well, literally did... picture myself being in the theater when Cats Don't Dance was on, Are which you... I'm like the only person who saw that in it. Yeah. Theater. That's cheating, Diana. I think that this that's not cheating. Stricken that's from her record. And weird and bored. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have anything else to do. He was also in the final Major League movie, Back to the Miners, you know, wrapping up that trilogy. Yes, ah. finally. <laughs> uh, Corbin Burnson kills his own father. Way to go, Scott Bakula. Always been a big fan of you. I feel like you give uh, people out there with enormous noses a good name. And for that, I can't thank you enough. Please don't Google and he was in Playgirl. He was. Yes. What's his dong look like? Oh, Describe it, JR, for <laughs> the listeners' demand to know. Tell a friend about the show. Next week's is going to be just as fucking fun, I promise. And uh, we're, well, let's close out with uh, something for the Reservoir Dog soundtrack. I mean, Hell yeah. I'm inclined to go with Stuck in the Middle just because, like, yeah, I you gotta. It's not my favorite song on there. I just can't not associate. When you can't not associate a song with a movie anymore. And I'd heard that was the only song, that was a song I was most familiar with when mm-hmm. that movie came out. That's fair. Can't think about anything else. Yep, you gotta do that little dance. Little dance. Kind of the only dancing I can do. The Michael Madsen. (laughs) I can do the Michael. I can do the Mr. Blonde. As long as my date is tied up. (laughs) Oh, going dark. Uh, Yes. As if I would get a date. Come on, people. Let's get real. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next week. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm wondering what it is I should do. It's so hard. Smile from my face